Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Today, Graham McMillan and I have read some mighty fine comic books, and we are here to tell you about them. Yes, discussed in our two-hour-plus podcast are The Spirit by Will Eisner, Grace and Future's End by Tom King, Tim Seeley, and Stephen Mooney, Batman 6614 by Jeff Parker, Paul Ravosh, and Craig Brousseau, Steve Englehart's 10-issue run on Justice League of America, Transformers vs. G.I. Joe number 2, She-Hulk, Miss Marvel, Scooby-Doo and the Super Friends, and the first arc of The Fuse by Anthony Johnston and Justin Greenwood, the last of which we offer you a chance to win a signed trade paperback in this very podcast. Show notes annotated with flair are now available at waitwhatpodcast.com. We welcome your questions and comments at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lester! Graham McMillan, hello! Jeff! 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 You know, Graham, sometimes I'm worried that maybe you were exposed to too many remixes during the 90s and it affected you adversely. All I'm saying is, if anyone wants to just loop me saying Jeff's name... (laughs) I'd keep it going for like two hours and just the weirdest episode ever. Oh, Feels man. Weird. You know, I really should. I should actually like excerpt that, loop it, and make it my own ringtone on my phone. Oh, my be... God. Can you imagine? Someone calls you and all the ears be going, Jeff, 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 Jeff. So tempting. I don't know why, really, but still. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. The only, the only ringtone you should make it is if I call you. Right, exactly, but but of course you—that's the irony. You and I never talk on the phone. Yeah, we only talk at Skype. <laughs> so if I did it, I it would never get. It used. would never ring. It would just never happen. It would just. But happen. also, if you think about it, if I did ever use it, then it would have the right element of urgency. Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah, it would be like when the... it would be like, what the hell is happening? Something's <laughs> clearly wrong. So there you go. It would work. Out. Mm. Plan. Mead, Jeff. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed, Graham. Uh, so, how are you? What's going? We we've got a podcast to do, but I um really are you feeling it that much? Are you that excited? You know, I'll be I'll be honest. Uh, I, I read a lot of good comics be- in the last twenty four hours, which was kind of nice. I I ran to the store. <laughs> wow, just last twenty four hours. You're like the two weeks before that, not so much. But the last twenty four hours, I read a shit ton of good stuff. Well, there there is a little bit. Like I went to I went to the store last week, and then I'm not. I don't exactly remember why, but I don't think I I didn't. I know I did barely read anything from last week's haul, so this was definitely. Oh well, um, Jeff, I've, re- I've read a bunch of good stuff, and the majority of it is all really old. But Jeff, I've read some classic material since we last talked. Classic, really? not even being sarcastic. I've read some <laughs> fucking great stuff. Uh, I have, as I've said on Tumblr, um, on the Wait What Tumblr, in mm-hmm. fact. Uh, I've been working my way through Will Eisner's Spirit, mm. uh, and I'm on the the post-war years, i.e. when Eisner came back from the war and it got really good. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. before then, it had a certain charm, okay? Mm-hmm. Like, it's not Eisner, but even when Eisner does it before the war, like, it's fun, but it's very much of the, huh, you know, this is okay. Mm-hmm. It, I, I don't see why it's got the reputation. 
mm-hmm. and then Eisner goes off to war and Lou Fine and other people take over and it's again it's completely fine mm-hmm. but it doesn't knock your socks off mm-hmm. but what's really interesting if you're working your way through all the collections like I have been mm-hmm. is that when Eisner comes back from the war mm-hmm. he does knock your socks off because you've become used to this level of it's fine mm-hmm and then Eisner comes back and he's just like, hey, you guys, you know that formula that these guys have been using for the last three years? Fuck that formula. <laughs> Fuck that. But like immediately as well. Mm-hmm. It's not like he slowly ramps up. Mm-hmm. Like he comes up, he comes back and he's just like, okay, screw all of that. Hmm. And immediately gets rid of the formula and just goes weird, but weird in a very mainstream way. Mm-hmm. Uh, in that, like, he's always incredibly aware that he has this mass audience, mm-hmm. and he keeps things very light. Mm-hmm. But light for Eisner, especially in that period, mm-hmm. it's very off kilter. Mm. So that the comedy is not quite straightforward. And then every now and again, he'll be like, "I'm going to be philosophical," and those are the best ones. Those are just like the nuts ones, mm-hmm. where all of a sudden he's like, you know. It's a crime series. It's you know, it's a very straightforward crime series uh, where there's there's femme fatales and one of my favorite things about Eisner's uh, post war work in particular is the names he gives his femme fatales. Mm-hmm. They're they're just spectacular. But every now and again, he's like, you know, um, whoa, 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 I, I, back it up. We need you, an example. Of, names, of course, yeah, absolutely, uh, they're, man. There's silken floss. Oh, right, silken floss. Uh, I'm going to have to look back at the books because there are there are a bunch, and he, he works his way through them super quickly. Because mm-hmm. um, oh, no, Sanserif was before the war. Sanserif was before the war, yeah. but that, that that's very much the level he goes. Do you right. know what I mean? Like he's like, is there a pun? I will find the pun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, sadly, I can't find any of the damn. Ah. Uh. I know it's terrible. There, there's Pajel, which I'm. I, oh, there's Dulcet Tone. Oh, Dulcet Tone. That's pretty great. Uh, there's Olga Bustle, mm-hmm. uh, who's a Jane Mansfield parody. Oh, that's which is spectacular. Wow. Olga Bustle, the girl with those big, big eyes, <laughs> is the way she's described. <laughs> um, and, and the joke with her is like she is she's completely vampy, and no man can resist her apart from the spirit, who just doesn't even vaguely acknowledge that she, she she's there. Mm. And she's like, darling, and he's like, oh shit, how do I solve this problem? <laughs> um, yeah, but oh, it's, every now and again, he was like, you know, I kind of want to make another point. And he goes into this weird magical realism <laughs> that he never, never explains away. Mm-hmm. So you end up with the, like, if you were taking everything that the spirit does as canon, mm-hmm. which you kind of have to because it's one strip and it's going on. Like, it becomes this weird, magical, realist world where there are, like, aliens who will come down. Like, there's a, an episode where uh, an Orson Welles parody uh, is actually, after having done War of the Worlds, mm-hmm. uh, is meets a, a real Martian who's like, you get it. Like, well, we're, we, we are actually going to invade the Earth. Uh, you're going to work with us. And so it veers wildly, and in a really weird way, it's really reminiscent of Judge Dredd, Mm. because Dredd, in a really similar way, can go, you know, all the way from tragedy to comedy. Right. And when it goes to comedy, it tends to go broad, Mm -hmm. like Dredd as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's it's this wonderful thing. It it really is, and I it's almost far better when you read them in bulk. Because you right. see the variety, which I think is true of Dread as well. I think mm-hmm. if you just picked like an episode of Dread out, you'd be like, okay, this is fine. Right. 
Right, but, but you have to have a, like a steady stream of it at the very least, which is part of why, yeah. which is part of why the 2000 AD can be so addictive on a weekly basis in that sense. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, wait, sorry, I was also going to say, are you reading 2000 AD? Are you up to date with 2000? AD? I'm not. I said all that. And I'm like, I'm stuck. I've got them stockpiled, and I'm like, oh, oh man, you have to catch up with the dread in particular, Jeff. Yeah. It's another example of one of the writers who's not Wagner. In this case, it's Michael Carroll mm-hmm. playing the long game. Because mm. uh, you're on, I think it's like Prog, like 1897 or something now. Mm-hmm. But he's doing a callback to something that happened in Prog 1850 that he wrote, mm. which is also doing a callback to something that happened like 10 years ago in the magazine. Wow. Like it's it's it really it's another great example of the way that dread because it's been going on for thirty five years and is very uh, aware of its own history mm-hmm. as opposed to uh, you know superhero strips where it's like new writer starting over right. dread is very much like we have this long history um, you get these amazing payoffs that you just don't expect mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the current story it's on part four of however many like it it almost feels like it could be one of these mega epics. Mm-hmm. Right now, because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you think it starts off as one thing, mm-hmm. and then it just drastically veers in the last couple of episodes. Hmm. They are like, "Oh, holy shit! I didn't see that coming." Oh wow! Okay, okay. Uh, that's, yeah. That's pretty so, great. so yeah, Dread, Dread in particular is on an upswing right now, and Jaeger's in it again. So I'm, I'm mm-hmm. a big fan. And you're a big fan of that, yeah, yeah. Um, um, so yes, yeah. two thousand eighty. Get back to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, what, why are you reading it so good? Well, before I before I jump there, and I will, um, let me just say, and for listeners who might be confused, um, this is Jeff pulling a little bit of an Avengers Defender war on you. I'm going to mention something from the last conversation Graham and I had on a different podcast, which I'll tell oh, you about. Which- which is amusing because I, unless I'm completely mistaken, that podcast won't be released when this is. Uh, isn't it coming out pretty close, like within a day or two? I would think so. Is it? I thought it might be the week after. Oh yeah, you're right because he needed it said. by. Yeah, hmm, I'll have to check. Well, anyway, so 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 what we're saying first of all is, you guys, there's a crossover coming. Yes, and Jeff is apparently going to be Mr. Marvel about it, and uh, you're going to get part two before you get part one, maybe. But, uh. I just realized while you were talking, I had a little bit of an epiphany. Wouldn't Stanley Donan have done an amazing spirit movie? Yes. Yes. Like, really I was do. just thinking you're... of that, of like the color and the staging and the yes. artificiality. Yes. But Yes, very much. And uh, actually, one of the things I keep thinking while reading the spirit, uh, uh, outside of just a complete appreciation of the spirit as a series... Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the the versatility of it mm-hmm. is, I would love to see a spirit TV show, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and explicitly a TV show. I'd like to see something that could that unlike a movie is fairly restrained to like here's the one story. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see something where week on week they could be like, okay, you know, we did a tragedy last week, this week broad comedy, next week, you know, something else entirely again. I forget, did they do a TV? movie with the idea of doing they did a, a TV, TV thing? They did right. a TV pilot with Sam Jones, who was also Flash Gordon. Oh, yeah, right, right, right. Interesting. Yeah. Um, which I don't even think aired. I think it's one of those like pilots that didn't air. Right. 
Right. Uh, but, but, you know, got released like, um, Heat Vision and Jack, which I saw years ago and only this week realized it was Dan Harmon that wrote Heat Vision, Vision oh, and Jack. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I never realized that until yeah. this week and I was like, oh, that makes a lot more sense. <laughs> Um, for, for listeners who have no idea what I'm talking about, Heat Vision and Jack is a pilot, a TV pilot that never made it to air from maybe 10 years ago now. Yeah. Um, and it starred Jack Black and Luke Wilson, maybe, Mm -hmm. and was, uh, a Knight Rider parody. Yes. Written by Knight Rider and a little bit of a $6 million man too, I thought. Yeah, and and a bit of Street Talk as well, if anyone remembers Street Talk from that same era. Mm -hmm. You remember the era where it was like, you know, a man and a superpowered vehicle. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was, but it was very much a parody of, of that sub-genre of, you know, shitty television. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, it's very funny, but I, like I said, I saw it years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, and I never realized it was Dan Harmon. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And then this week I was reading an interview with, with Harmon and someone made a reference to Street Vision and Jack, uh, not Street Vision and Jack, Heat Vision and Jack. Street Vision and Jack. Street Vision and Jack is, uh, what happened. Well, I loved, I loved Street Hawk as a kid. I really did. I'm not sure I saw it, knew of it. Is it Brit? Is it- no, 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 no. It's, it's American. Is uh, it- and it was, it was, it was terrible. <laughs> so I just think that, like, even when you're a kid, you know right. it's terrible. Yeah. Uh, but it, uh, the same was true of Airwolf. Right. I, I was right. heavily. That's into- what I was thinking was Airwolf. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, Airwolf was terrible as well. Wow. And, and like Street Hawk, both of them were shows that I always want, like thought had more potential than were ever realized in the show itself. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. even, even the 10 year old me at the time. Oh yeah. It's like waiting for, you know, a good episode. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you just wait uh, and wait yeah, and it's, wait. It's like, yeah. I love Knight Rider, but I only ever really loved Knight Rider when they had the evil kit in it. Well, of course. Of course. Because like, that's, that's like the really, only good episode, you know? Yeah, that was episodes. There was oh, right. one car episodes, Jeff. <laughs> car. That was the other great thing. We've got an evil car. What are we going to call him? Let's call him Car, but this time it starts with a K. <laughs> You guys. <laughs> That's how you know he's evil. Or, exactly. a, you know, a coffee shop or a quickie mart. What, or... what was the, um, the, the real, like, why was he called Car? Because Kit was Night Industries 2000, right? Mm. I have to admit, I, I grew up without um, much exposure. I only saw I only saw it in reruns, believe it or not. I, I was going to say, so. were, were you told, uh, Car is Night, night automated, automated Roving, roving robot. robot. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Um, there you go. He appeared twice. Trust don't rust. One, <laughs> which is a great name. <laughs> and Kit versus Car, just cutting to the chase. Yeah, yeah, that would have been great. And then, amusingly, he was part of a multi-episode story arc in the 2008 Revive series. <laughs> well, of course, because you know when you that uh, that really says all you need to know about uh, the revival, doesn't it? Where it's like, listen. There was one thing that worked in the show. Let's make it last for like seven episodes. Of <laughs> Can we just bring it back and extend it? Because that's just, what people really want to see. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, so stepping back, because somehow we ended up way down the digressive path. One, I should mention, and I don't know who, but I remember somebody talking somewhere at some time saying how much they wanted a spirit tv show this was back in the 70s or maybe the 60s yeah it's one of those weird like i think it was something that harlan ellison was maybe talking about because he tried to get it on the air and the and the ideal the 
the ideal Denny Colt slash spirit would be James Garner, like a young James Garner. And I thought that was kind of, uh, I always thought that was kind of a great choice. Like every once in a while when I see particularly some of late, later Eisner stuff where he's drawing the spirit, I'm kind of like, oh yeah, I can kind of see, I got that, that kind of thing going on, you know, Mm -hmm. that sort of classic, like the guy's guy, but the world's most likable version therein. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing about the spirit. Everyone Mm -hmm. likes him. Yeah. Like, even the bad guys kind of like him. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's very, very true. Which I I kind of... Did you, like, were you a reader? Were you a fan? Mm, I went through a couple of phases. Um, Namely, in my... I want to say my 30s? I'm trying to think how or where, but I went through a period where... I think it was when Kitchen Sink was reprinting them as a like a monthly comic book in color. Yes, yeah, which which was when I read when I first discovered them. Yeah, so so that's when, of course, you know, being a comic book reader, you hear about that stuff forever. But yeah, that was a good strong run that I really enjoyed, and so consequently, I ended up buying a couple of the DC showcases, which I, I later ended up selling and ditto. I grabbed some of the, um, older Warren black and white magazines, reprint mm-hmm. reprints that I found, you know, moldering in somebody's, you know, magazine size long box there. So, so yeah, which, it's which are amazing because it's good. The Warren ones have, newer material. Yes, exactly. And it's a it's, it's almost a little disquieting. And I mean, I admittedly, I came to it older, you know, so it wasn't quite as like, I wasn't as easily thrown in a way, but there was a little bit of the, wow, this is, so it's, it's, I, I enjoy the spirit, but I don't think I'm enough of a fan to just, you know, wholeheartedly just kind of like when I got the, 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 um, Marvel, the DC reprints, you know, it's like I had like three or four of them on the shelf and I picked them up and I just wasn't doing a very good job of like going, devouring them. You know what I mean? Well, that's like, just said, like, but also the DC reprints were $50. Like you really had to, you had to buy into it. Really. Well, that's it. To, and I kind of tried. Six I know. And I, and I don't remember which volume I started in on, but it was like a little too early and I was like, oh, this is kind of a slog. And then at a certain yeah, point, I'm the, like, I'm waiting until I can buy the stuff I already liked. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it just. Yeah, because the great stuff starts in volume 12, which is amazing. Because you have to buy, you know, mm-hmm. eleven volumes of shit. Essentially. Yeah, yeah. It's it's one of the things that I think they've, you know, it's one of the things that has been, I think, has been good about the book trade and the library trade. You know, really expanding for this stuff because I think it does make it easy. It makes it so that some of these series do get to the point where they, where you can get the cream. You know, it's just unfortunately if you're someone like me. I was just way too obsessive. So I was kind of like, ah, I can't get just the, eh. So I, yeah, told... exactly. I, can't, I can't jump on with volume 13. Right. Because then there's vo- like, what about volumes one through 12? I totally have that as well. That, yeah. you know, I know this is the good stuff. Mm-hmm. But, but. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's, that's actually been, that's been kind of hard. And I can see where in a way the library thing would be great, but it's funny. I, it's like, there's ways in which I'm definitely, it's, it's because it's probably been like seven or eight years. I can't really talk as knowledgeably about it as I used to, but I had, I had read a lot there at one point and I'm really sort of starting to realize just talking. I'm like, Oh yeah, maybe I'm, 
I'm like one of those people who is a fan of sp- the spirit if you get it in the right dose. Like if it's too yeah. much or too, it's really it's a really fine formula. I'm not I'm not a blind fan, and it's kind of a well. Shame. I, I I love I love the way I'm able to read it. I what I'm doing is I'm like I'm getting multiple volumes from the library at once. Yeah, that's sort of why. Uh, and two volumes equal a year. Mm. And I'm mm-hmm. generally getting through a year a week. Wow. Wow. That's pretty uh, great. Well, you know, there's, what, 52 episodes and each episode is seven mm-hmm. pages. So it's not a bunch, you know? Yeah, but I suppose, well, hold on. Uh, seven pages, 52. I'm like, that means you're reading 52 pages a day, though, basically, right? If I'm doing the math to flip that around on you, if you're getting through them in a week. I guess. Wait, yeah, so... is that the right math? <laughs> Yeah, I guess it is. Yeah, I I, I guess it is, yeah. Right. So, which is fine. I don't know. It's really funny. Like, the last couple of days, I've been reading more comics. I've just, but, like, last week, there was just a variety of cross-section stuff. And let's face it, I'm still, like, doing things like dropping way too much time on playing, like, fucking pinball. Like, oh, Doctor Strange pinball. Aren't I tired of this yet? Yeah, kind of. Like, let's keep playing it then. Okay. Yeah, so am I tired of it? That's what you should be asking. Yeah, so am I really tired of it? Apparently not. <laughs> well, I, that's the unfortunate the thing. The brain says yes. Yeah, say no. I, I'm, I'm, I, I can be. Video games really are kind of this thing where it's like I got to give this like another week, and then I just have to delete it off the iPad and pretend I don't have it. Otherwise, I'll never get anything done. That said. Yes, comics. A lot of really good comics yeah. in the last so couple of weeks. What right? have you read that you, you've just loved? What what has knocked your your pants off, Jeff? Well, I guess this is a good starting point because we you, because you know we discussed it a little bit on uh, Twitter, and I definitely owe it to you. But holy cow, that Grayson Futures End, the quote unquote one shot, um, by yeah. what Ra- the fuck, right? Oh man. Yeah, it... like really, seriously, it's been a surprising series so far. Mm-hmm. But that was—it was just such a great way to take advantage of the five years later enforced mm-hmm. format. Yes, and also completely get around it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Completely disregard it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's it's um, so for people who who don't know, this issue takes place five years in the future. Um, the, well, it starts five years. Sorry, in the five years from now. Yeah, and the, and that's the first page. And then one of the things that they do that is just brilliant is the you know it's like you've got the first page which shows the the death of Dick Grayson, and then the page the next page is the scene that happens right before it, and then the page before that is the scene that happened before that. So. The book, as a one-shot, actually goes backwards in time um, and ends up, you know, with, at the beginning, the end of the book is Dick Grayson as part of the Flying Graysons. And so, uh, Graham mentioned that hook, and I was like, oh, okay, that seems like a very clever way to sort of, like, you know, sort of toy with the idea of five years in the future and also kind of, like, when you're unmoored for things, a way to kind of tie it into cuz Grayson is a relatively new series it seems ridiculous to get two issues out and then jump 5 years into the future it just seemed like there would be no way in hell that you could do that and 
you know, sort of keep the reader's empathy because there's, you know, all the concepts are just barely being laid out and the people who are there are are barely in your mind, much less the idea that you're going to mess with them with a five years, five year jump. So the brilliance of taking that five year jump and then essentially working it backwards so that you can retie in these characters. But to me, even better, the, the script by uh, Tom King and it's plotted by Tom King and Tim Seeley is so layered they really sat down and did a fantastic job of plotting it out so that the very first scene that you see is filled with so many things that you are able to understand and fully assemble by the time you make it to the end of the book and and at the same time really do some wonderful things about dick grayson and who that character is and and kind of what's so wonderful about him at the same time it is an amazingly finely structured comic. Yeah. Uh, I don't know about you, but I read it front ways, which is backwards. And then I read it backwards, which is in the forward for continuity. Mm-hmm. And then read it the proper way again. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And you get more each way you read it. Because yes. There is so much that plays off both ways. but. But also, did you notice each time it jumps back in time, it jumps back longer in time? Yeah, I should have. With I should have mentioned that with mm-hmm. each page, because right. you do page one to page two is you know literally jumping back minutes. Yeah. Then you've got jumping back hours, and then it gets to the point where we're at the end, it's jumping back significantly. You know, years. Yes. Yeah. Um, but you know, the last page pays off the first page. Mm-hmm. There are there are various callbacks mm-hmm. that that you get the payoff before you get the setup mm-hmm. uh, to the point where the setup then becomes the payoff. Um, yes. It's just, it's really, really well done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, 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 and also I really like that it, it pretty much ignores future's end. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I don't necessarily know what future's end is supposed to be having not followed that series. So it was, you oh, know, I, I, I didn't, was, I ha- I have been, it pretty much ignores it entirely. Well, by pretty much, I mean, it ignores it entirely, Jack. Not entirely. Not entirely. Yeah, I mean, wh- wh- where does it? Where does it actually tie in? The, it, the apart from happening five years later, where does it actually tie in? Um, if I'm understanding things correctly, the agency, spy agency that Dick Grayson works with, teams up with the KG Beast, who's now basically the Vladimir Putin of of future Russia, specifically for the handling of the Earth Two invasion. Which I, mm-hmm. is a thing that is mentioned it's, a lot yeah. in Five Years Later, right? So there's at least something I, there. I'm not saying I it's guess, a lot. Yeah. But... It's actually more of a. This is where I'm like, well, Jeff, if you read your DC comics, it's actually more of a tie-in to <laughs> the Earth Two thing that's happening this month. Oh, okay. It's like, uh, sure, it's definitely uh, uh, an element of Future's End, mm-hmm. but it's an element as in like it's this thing that's referred to as happening in the past, mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. opposed to something that's actively. What what is, uh, it's a MacGuffin, I guess, more than actually really an element. Right. Okay. Well, fair enough. It's there's a shared MacGuffin then. Let's there is a shared way. MacGuffin. Yeah. That's true. So you're totally right. Um, but yeah, for me, I really kind of had this feeling of, uh, you know, I was, I was tipped off. Um, and pro tip, listeners, uh, it usually if you check out um, Wait What podcast uh, every week, there's an entry by Graham and there's an entry for me. And Graham, I don't know if he's doing this intentionally or not, but 
has been writing about comics before they come out. So I don't, he may not always only, be able to continue to twice. do that. Well, but the last only two weeks. Twice. So, yeah, the last two so weeks, we can yeah. sort of call it a trend. Um, and may not be able to continue to do it, but it, it really was, even though, uh, thanks to Graham's earlier review, I picked up the first two issues of, uh, Grayson, um, and enjoyed them. I would not have thought, I think, to have, have picked this up on my own. And I'm so glad I did, but it is, uh, for those people who remember kind of what it's like to pick up an incredibly well plotted, structured, formalistic, little DC comic one shot. In other words, for me, people who remember what it was like when Alan Moore would jump in and do a Superman annual or something, this is really scarily close to that quality. I wholly recommend picking it up um, because it, it really comes close enough, I think, to working well enough on its own. I, I, I can't really quite fully make that jump because I read the first two issues and enjoy them. And therefore, like, particularly a lot of this issue revolves around, uh, Dick's relationship with Helena. And, um, and I had, there's, there's enough of a, a very slight groundwork in the first two issues to kind of make that a more richer experience. You definitely see it do things here that you haven't seen it do in the rest of the book. So, um, but yeah, that was, Oh man, it was, that really was such a shocker out of something that just like, I walked into the store more or less holding my nose because of the <laughs> smell of the DC money grab. Um, and that was it's that those future end books are weird this week, Jeff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I said, in, in, uh, with what podcast.com, Listeners, kindly visit. Um, DC 75. There's 10 out this week, DC 75. Right. Um, seemingly random choices. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't, yeah, I, I'm not entirely sure why they're like, yes, he should read like Green Lantern and not Aquaman, but there you go. Um, but the, what I got from all of them, with the exception of the Green Arrow one, is they have pretty much no relation to the main Future's End um, event series. Mm-hmm. To the point where. I almost feel that the uh, reticence of the audience to actually read that damn book mm-hmm. is going to scare people away from comics that they would otherwise enjoy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Green Arrow one, I should say, is uh, is, uh, is a book that exists for Jeff Lemire fans. Mm-hmm. If you're not reading Future's End and Green Arrow, mm-hmm. you are not going to get everything you shoot out of this book hmm. because it is heavily grounded in both. Right. Um. But you know the Green Lantern book is totally out there. Mm-hmm. It's it's very much uh, what if I'm writing an epilogue to my own run? Oh, the Robert Mendez, I should say, is the writer. Uh, mm-hmm. What if I'm writing an an epilogue to my own run and also Jeff Jontron? Wow, um, which is you know sure I guess if you're doing a five years later thing. Sure, but it feels so. Uh, weirdly disconnected to what's actually happening in his run right now Mm -hmm. but also so rooted in that and in John's run Mm -hmm. that you can't take it as like a standalone story either Mm -hmm. so you're like I I don't know what the point of this story is I'm not not sure what this is Uh, and the detective comics issue is horrible that's a shame because the art looked pretty nice i saw oh, a couple see, you, of pages and you i was probably like, only saw the first few pages because mm. the art changes midway through the book there's yes. two artists and they're very different in style right yeah i have to say that is a trend going on in the bat office that i do not think is a good one um i am you know i i, I read the i had two issues 
to read of Batman Eternal this week since I didn't I didn't read last issues, and it helps that they're pretty consistent with one another, sort of, but they're not quite the same. And having it switch from the Jason Fabok art that I that I quite liked in issue twenty one to the who's the dude doing it in twenty two. Uh, Jorge, Jorge Lucas, who is fine, uh, but... But his art style is nothing like Jason Faybook's. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And also, they kind of biff things, really, in that I know they went for, like, 21 is the big, supposed to be the series of big, oh, holy shit, reveals, and then for whatever reason, they were like, uh, yeah, one of them's going to be so impressive, we're just going to revisit in issue 22, like... You know, so there's. What, what is it? I just spoil it for me. What What is so big that they repeat the reveal? Okay, so full spoilers for everybody. Um, one of the people who is being like super awesome, evil villain who can't be stopped, comes out um, and jabs Alfred with a huge syringe of of super painful stuff. Is in fact everybody's favorite. Hush. So Hush has reappeared <laughs> in the I, new Fifty Two. That Hush is back. Thank God. Yeah. That classic villain. Yeah. Exactly. Well, exactly. And they're treating him like, oh, he's a classic villain. And then at the end of the issue, it has him showing up and killing off. Uh, I forget which dude. Like one of these dudes that I kind of don't care about. And it and the. The closest I suppose that you can get is is that issue twenty one to being it all different is issue twenty one. You see hut see hush and you're supposed to be oh holy shit. And then at the end of twenty two when he pops up and off someone, it's right as Batman's figuring out that he's involved because of something dumb like someone said something like whisper to him and he's like aha, you know. It's, yes, if you're whispering, that you're hushing. You're hushing people. It's the shusher. <laughs> so anyway, it's. It, I, it's a shame because I'm reading. I I really, I really enjoy paying God help me two ninety nine for a week for a, a weekly Batman book. Like I'm actually sitting here going, "This is bad. You've screwed up." Like this this book is kind of, it's it's really floundering already pretty heavily. And I know that they were kind of thinking that I'm sure everyone had was two steps ahead of them on on. Uh, one of the characters that we think, you know, who's been helping out Batman all along so clearly. Jason has ended up being a bad guy, right? Yeah, exactly. Jason yeah. Bard is, is, is a bad guy, which is not, was not surprising in, in the slightest. But also between the, part of it is I think it would have been okay if they had been trying to tell sort of one type of story and then they'd rotated in a different different batches of artists. I think that's one thing. But the fact that they are trying to do different stories, different aspects, trying to have each of the Bat family get like a different take on what's going on, you know, so that you're getting, you got, you know, a couple of issues of international jet setting, fist punching, kick punching with, you know, the Red Hood and Batgirl. And then you also get the spooky fist punching with Jim Corrigan and Batwing. And then you also get the Really confused, you get the sense that he's really not paying much attention to what's going on. Regular fist punching of Batman. And you get all these different artists in it. It's, it, it just feels like it's an, it's just an out of control slop house. And it's really a shame because on the one hand, having read 52, 
I honestly think you can't avoid the slop house a little bit. I don't think that DC Comics are really... I don't think... I'm not sure there's an American Comics editor out there who's quite figured out how to make a a weekly comic be flawless. But part of the fun of 52 is, at least at a certain point, the, the creators are... It's a really fun slop house, you know. It's kind of yeah, going out yeah. of its. It, it's like anything could happen. There's a real spirit of adventure. You see them trying to crack themselves up and try and jump off the rails and back onto the rails. And there's, there's that's really exhilarating. And here, unfortunately, it just kind of feels like you're watching, you know, the watching a jet sort of come apart like piece by piece, bit by <laughs> bit. And it's, it's. Not so much fun, but that being said, I really get a kick out of, um, I, I kind of hope that they figure out a way to do, like, do this again, but especially do it better, because there's a way in which it's, it's done a good job of, of keeping me coming back for more. Well, oh, that, that's, that's funny, because I, I am reading Future Send, mm, mm-hmm. the, the weekly book. Right. Um, and I am also, very much enjoying the weekly aspect of it and the serial aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, while very aware of the flaws of Future Science, of which there are many, um, mm-hmm. one of the main ones is it is so conscious of 52 that it is practically trying to be 52 in terms of its plot reveals. Oh, you've said that. You've said that, yeah. Um, so you have exactly the same dynamics. Who is the mystery Superman? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you even have, like, the three characters separated from all the rest of the stories in space. Oh, man, really? Yeah, I mean, exactly. You have exactly the same twists. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's totally, like, a... It totally works for me in the way that it doesn't work, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I, I have I have completely just been like, yep, it's going to be a mess. Things mm-hmm. are, are not going to work out in it. Mm-hmm. There, there's going to be parts where you think no one is actually enjoying this other than the writers. And there definitely are. I mean, one mm-hmm. of the characters is actually called 50 Sue, Jeff. <laughs> Seriously. There is oh, an, an, omnipotent, an omnipotent teen called 50 Sue. Oh. Which has to be someone taking the piss. If oh, not completely. All of them taking the piss. That's, I mean, it's hilarious. You totally see where, oh, I wonder, is it, is it, um, is it Giffen? Is it Azarello? Who knows? Well, okay. Azarello loves himself a pun, like to the point of, of yeah, but, madness but, but, inducing. But 52 talks like a Giffen character. Oh, we'll see. But I also feel like 50 Sue seems like that's a parody of Dan DiDio, right? You know, because um, maybe. Well, I, because I, it's 52 and clearly it sounds like Mary, Mary Sue, Sue, right? So yeah. Yeah. so they're talking about a character that sort of keeps trying to self-insert into the DC universe um, and the whole omnipotent angle. It just sounds like it's a, a – and I could be wrong, but it sounds like it's a way to, to tweak Dan DiDio – because Didio kind of can't keep his be. nose out of people's work, I think. You know, this reminds me. I'll take a, a secondary digression for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, I was talking to someone who I will not name because they're a comic professional this week, uh, who asked me if I was reading Justice League three thousand, mm. and their reason for that was they are convinced that it is a parody of the fifty two, oh, of the really? new fifty two, like. Mm convinced that it's and and their explanation for that just made me want to read it Mm -hmm. Uh, because it is apparently 
um, reanimated versions of the Justice League who are assholes because they do not have a moral grounding mm-hmm. and are slowly becoming self-aware about this mm-hmm. and, and coming to terms with the fact that something is missing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, with given writing, I think I'd, I would be very much enjoying that series. Right, exactly. So, you know, I'll, I'll probably end up getting that in trade. Um, yeah, Future Sentence is weirdly compelling uh, in its in its desire to be 52. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As much as anything else. It's also got a bunch of its own themes mm-hmm. that are interesting or not in and of themselves. Hmm. Um, one of which is I am still fascinated to see where they're going to end up with the because they're clearly asking what is a hero what does it take to be a hero right um you because you have mr terrific who is uh first of all he's going to bring about the the brother i armageddon which has been like more than flagged Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like amazingly flagged uh but is doing it because he is very much of the uh, power to the people Mm -hmm. motivation. He's like, technology can save the world. Technology can make everyone's lives better. And I I should democratize this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You you have, in the latest issue, uh, the reveal that Superman is basically trying to like undo droughts and terraform the world Mm, uh, because mm -hmm. he feels such guilt over what has happened to the world Mm -hmm. that he has not been responsible for. Uh, The masked Superman character is revealed to be Captain Marvel, who's basically taken up his his role Mm -hmm. uh, because he also feels responsibility to live up to the ideal of a a hero that he doesn't necessarily understand. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you have all these, these different things that are in play that could be interesting but i also have this fear that they're going to end up going absolutely nowhere like mm-hmm. there should be no resolution to it because in order to get resolution you'd have to take the characters where dc can't take the characters mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. do you know what i mean like it's much better to be like he's feeling guilty but he shouldn't because he's superman the end right right do you know what i mean yeah uh so yeah there's lots of interesting things in there but also this weird feeling of bait switch mm-hmm. they're really just you know it gets to a point where it, you know instead of addressing does superman have their responsibility it will turn into has superman realized that brother i is actually brainiac because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. that is also one of the reveals Interesting. Uh, when, yeah, brother i is brainiac huh. um or at least in league with brainiac right uh and, it, and it's actually a callback to like Luthor's plot from morrison's action comics weirdly enough hmm Oh, yeah, right. there's, there's, right, there's lots of stuff going on. There's lots of stuff going on. Huh. Um, but almost too much to make it, to make it, it, like, there's too much going on, so it becomes impenetrable to anyone who's not actually like, I actually care about DC continuity. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like, casual readers, you're fucked. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You just are. Right, right. Uh, which is, uh, um, and I think the same is true about Batman Eternal. I think you actually have to really be like, yes. I care about Batman continuity for that. And and the, the New Earth 2 series that's coming in next month, World's End, it's very much, mm-hmm. you know, I care about DC continuity, I care about Earth 2. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, none of these series are entry points for a new reader at all. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's one of the things that I think is sort of frustrating. Uh, 
uh, particularly for me with Batman Eternal, what's frustrating is I feel like instead of them taking like say four ideas, they took a dozen ideas, and because they're throwing them all there, and early on, none of them really have much of a chance to grow, you know, or they do. The ones that are relatively kind of boring, you know. So I mean, even when you get dribs and drabs of like, oh, here's Harper. Harper Rose character, here's Stephanie Brown. I mean, they just really don't... Alfred's daughter, who's been walking around on these pages for, you know... On the one hand, it, it's only been two months or something, but that's like eight issues. Well, exactly, yeah. You know, and it, is... You do end up with this really skewed yeah. sense of like, how long is this story fucking going on? Right. Well, and but also there's just that sense of... Uh, I think because there's the idea of like, oh, you're you're running each of these out the door every week, and there is that idea of you're just trying to get the continuity right, considering you've got different writers and different artists and everything, that you're like, oh, right, got to remember, you know, Alfred's daughter is still kicking around the mansion, you know, because we've got to have her in the safe room at this point so that when Alfred's useless and she steps in and then later when she gets shot, you know. Exactly. We need her here. Yeah. Keep her here. There's actually, uh, in Future's End, the space characters, mm -hmm. uh, which is Ray Palmer, Hawkman, and Amethyst. Mm -hmm. Oh, and, and, uh, and Frankenstein as well. Mm -hmm. Um, are literally like go missing for about four or five issues. Right. They right. just don't appear. And then when they appear again, someone obviously realized that they'd not done anything because one of the characters goes, we've been here for weeks. Yeah. Right. Exactly. I think something like that similarly happened with Stephanie Brown, which was crazy because she was in the process of being chased and killed. So, you know, like people trying to kill her. So like when you see her like issues later, it's like, how can she still be hiding out exactly, and her yeah, mother yeah. doesn't Surely know? Surely she was killed or not. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's one of those things of like, she couldn't have been hiding in the library peeing in mason jars for the last four weeks, you know, or maybe she was. So yeah, the, it's, it's, it's always a shame. Right. There's not, there's not really, people know the beats, but they don't really know how to flesh them out. There's, there's a lot of, a weekly comic is enjoyable as of like, oh my god, I'm reading a Batman comic. It's it's kind of drum machine Batman, you know? It's really like tuka 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 tuka. It's everything's kind of flat and if you're lucky the beats go in the right point, but you're I'm like, I don't I the Alfred's daughter means nothing to me and she's been around forever. So it, it I I, the great one of the quote unquote great things is I think at least Batman Eternal is propping up so much of DC's, uh, you know, share at this point that they're going to they're going to keep trying to make the weekly work. You know, I mean, they're really it's ridiculous that they're they're doing three weekly books in one year i think yeah. that's yeah it, it's absolutely crazy although i feel that both futures end and world's end are actually leading to the same point quote unquote right but i i worry that what it's leading to is like you know here's the weekly crossover book right right you know exactly. dark side war is going to be a weekly book that'll go on for seven years <laughs> right exactly so just you exactly. wait until you get to issue 969 because right. that's going to be the one where everything happens mm-hmm Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's kind of, it's a shame. It's really, to me, it's, that's the other thing that I think is sort of frustrating to me about it is, is that there is a little bit of a, 
I just, you know, God help me, I'm just enough of a Batman slob that I'm like, no, just just tell me a weekly Batman story. Like, yeah, that exactly. might actually yeah. work. It's, it's fine if things finish, mm-hmm. and then new things can start. Yeah, yeah, or even just this idea that that what happens is... You go from point A and then you build to point B and then that goes to point C and each of those are like new ideas and that, that point B is not another different weekly book or another crossover event. Yeah. You know, so. So hey, this is a good time to say that, um, I saw Gotham. I saw the Gotham pilot this week. Oh, really? Huh. Yes. Uh, It turns out, and I am going to make a, uh, one of of a couple of plugs I'm going to do this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I am going to be recapping Gotham and, for my sins, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. for Hollywood Reporter this year. Oh, holy shit. That's amazing. Wow. Um, and wow. as a result, I got the Gotham screener. Wow. I got the, the Gotham pilot. Uh-huh. Uh, I liked it so much more than I was expecting. Really? The, the pilot is problematic. Anyone mm-hmm. who's going in thinking that it's going to be great, mm-hmm. um, be prepared for some amazingly clunky dialogue. Mm. Uh, there are really moments where, in fact, there was a scene where uh, Rene Montoya, who I did not even know was going to be a character in this series, mm. um, confronts her ex-girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And there really is a line where she goes, she's talking about another character, and she goes, does he know you like I know you? <laughs> and like, there's a beat, and there's like, like I used to. Do you know oh, what I mean? Wow. Like, it's it's that clunky and goes sure. that too far right um but there's this weird sincerity to the show that totally won me over mm-hmm. you get the feeling from the pilot that they actually are going to try and do a crime show that just happens to feature the batman characters mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and so you know that that really kind of worked for me right uh donald Logue is great as bullock oh interesting because I, I feel like for some people, aka my wife, he was that was absolutely the biggest draw. Like, yeah, he he's going to be the breakout character. Mm-hmm. Uh, ben McKenzie is Ben McKenzie as Gordon, and he mm-hmm. kind of has a really thankless task because mm-hmm. he's like the moral character in the show, you know. Right. So all the other characters can do these outrageous things or have nuance. That, yeah, that makes interesting. we'll see, man. Well, Ben McKenzie's not a great, the greatest actor. Uh, who and, is who is that guy? I mean, what else uh, has he been on? He was, in, he was in Southland, and he was in the OC. Oh, okay. Mm. Um, but yeah, he's he's not the greatest. Like he's fine, mm-hmm. but he's also been given a really flat character. Well, do you know what I mean? So that he's he's got a really hard job, and when, like he, so at one point in the pilot, and I'm not really spoiling anything. Mm-hmm. Um. Bullock is shown to be like, cause they, they play out like, you know, he's drunk on duty. He's friends with criminals. Right. You know, he's, he's morally dubious. Uh, and then at one point towards the end of the show, you see that he's amazingly complicit in the corruption. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like amazingly complicit. Mm-hmm. And because of Luke's performance, you're just like, oh, I want to find out more about this character. Do you know sure. what I mean? Like, right. you're not like, well, that guy's a bad guy. Right. You're like, okay, there's more to him than I thought. Yeah. Right. Uh, and, and compared with that, you've got Mackenzie's garden, who really is just like, you know, God damn it, we should be doing it by the book. God damn it. Well, that, like he's, uh, I, it almost feels like he's being set up to fail. He, 
central character in the show. Well, okay, so I don't necessarily know for sure. Maybe, but I mean, see, one of the things is, as as well you know, Graham, it would be crazy if they didn't fall prey to the allure of the Batman year one template, you know, which, so you mix, you sort of dovetail those where like the, the two Gordon and Bullock become, you know, they seem like they're mirror opposites, but of course they're basically become much closer to being on the same level as the show goes on because Bullock is going to end up getting his shot at redemption via believing in Gordon and Gordon by contrast, if it's anything like Batman Year One, he's going to fuck up. He's going to have well, an affair. Well, he might lose his family. I don't think it's going to be Gotham. I don't think it's going to be Batman Year One. I think it's going to be Batman Earth One, mm-hmm. the the Jeff Johns graphic novel, mm. uh, where you have where you have that arc super quick. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So you basically right. have Gordon being tempted and then rejecting it. And spoilers: that happens in the pilot. Mm-hmm. Oh, does it happen in the pilot? In the pilot, he is basically offered the opportunity to become complicit in this. Mm-hmm. And given the whole, you have to do this or you will not survive, like, we're all just trying our best in this terrible situation, and he rejects it. Oh, yeah. But that's that's a little different, Graham. That's yeah, but what I'm different. saying is, I, th- I think if it's following the... the the John's model. Uh-huh. I I think he's had that conflict. Oh, <laughs> like I, I think that's done. Yeah. Well, uh, all I can say we'll, we'll is we'll see. all I can say is and I don't know who those guys are, but seriously, I could if I was on working on a Gotham TV show and I was eating sandwiches with Jeff Johns and my choice was make it more like bat, you know, Batman Year 1 or make it more like Batman Earth 1. We're like going to fucking year one town and Jeff Johns can like shove that sandwich <laughs> down my fucking back. You know what I mean? Cause I'm just like, one's a great piece of crime fiction that's held up for 20 years. The other one was a piece that embarrassed most of the people who bought it and or got it for free. So I, I, I can see your point, but I, I think if anyone, if, if they're half as diplomatic as, you know, most people have to be in Hollywood. I'm sure they're going to be like, Jeff, you're going to love this. We've got a killer who wears a bag over his head and sews buttons on his eyes. And who knows what other borings. I forget. Did he poop rats? He's going to poop rats. I don't, I don't remember your book. We're really going to, we're going to make that work. And meanwhile, they're like, okay, we got a cast for Sarah Essen. She's got to be fucking, she's amazing. Like a flinty actress that we are just going to, the, the audience is just going well, to. Well, if, if it, if it helps, uh, this Gordon is not married and has no children. Oh no, you idiots. What? Oh, well, maybe that'll work for the series. Whatever. I'm. Yeah, I mean, for all we know, they could build all of that up. They could be doing a really sure. yeah, slow. Yeah, really slow. slow. Yeah, first Cause, cause wife. He, he, mm-hmm. does, he, does, he does have a fiancé. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they, they, they could be doing a super slow burn. I I don't know. We'll see. But I, I, was, I was pleasantly surprised by the pilot. Yeah, that's great. I, I'm also very excited by that news that popped up from Rich a month or so earlier that they were going to re-release that dollar issue of Gotham Central number one. Yes. Yeah. I was just that, like... Which is super soon. It's like yeah. in, in... I think actually by the time this podcast comes out, it might be the next Wednesday. Oh, really? Okay. Because well, yeah. the show starts in mm-hmm. like two weeks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. It's right around the corner. Jesus. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was, it was pretty funny. I have to say, there was that weird, like, the other day, like, last night, I was, like, in the kitchen, like, cleaning up the dishes, and I looked over, and Edie was flipping through, uh, she was basically reading the issue 34 of Superman that was out, I don't remember why, but, you know, she flipped through, and she looked on the, she, halfway through, she's like, huh, this... This Gotham thing is kind of a big deal, huh? Like, I'm trying to think where they, if they even had the two-page ad for Gotham. There is, right? the, there is, there's a two-page ad that's in, in, in and this... it's got, it's got the, the, yeah. it's got all the characters, yeah. Right, okay, because that's definitely in the other books, too, and she was like, huh, and then the next thing today when we were eating lunch, she's like, wow, they really, my God, they want to do, they want this Gotham show to work. She's like, she, like, watched, like, she's already seen, like, 45 minutes of, EPK stuff that it's been. Oh yeah, the web, there, right? there is mm-hmm. there is so much stuff out there already. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm like, really? You were watching? Okay, you know. So that's it's pretty funny. Um, hmm. Well, I look forward to hearing more about uh, both Gotham and, of course, are you allowed to be as complaining as you want to be? I guess so, since they had Storenko doing season I'm one of probably Agents of Shield. Not going to be as complaining as it was. Oh. Uh, I, I, I'm sure I won't be entirely complimentary, but I mean, I, I laid into that series last year. Mm-hmm. 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 Uh, yeah, well, what's, no. really what's really funny is when they asked me to do it mm-hmm. earlier on that day, I was having a conversation with someone going, I'm not even sure I'm going to watch every episode. Like by the, by the end of last season, I was watching every episode and it had become this weird masochism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, I, do, I don't know if I, I don't know if I want to do this to myself again. <laughs> And then they're like, so we'll pay you to do it. And I was like, oh! Okay. Yeah. Thanks. Okay, then. Uh, yeah. It, I, yeah, I, I, I'm probably not going to be as mean. I'm also, uh, as part of this deal, there's going to be talking to the showrunners and stuff. Right. See, that's kind of what, that's sort of what I figured where I was like, yeah. oh, man, that's. Yeah. <sighs> oh, well. Oh, well. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> I mean, we know it might, it might become a good show. Sure, it's it's certain. unlikely. But no, I mean, it's I, hey, some people love that second season of Dollhouse, man. So let me tell you, um, really, yeah, actually, honestly, uh, honestly, seriously, like some people really loved the second season because and they thought it was better than the first season. I don't say that in the sense of it was worse. I say it in the sense of I honestly thought the two were pretty much of the same ilk. Did, uh, I, did I, people think the second season of Dollhouse was a significant improvement? I thought so, but maybe, maybe I. But I neither watch either season, either uh, whatever. I didn't watch either season, nor did I pay much attention to what was going on online. So I don't know. I we're oh, we're reaching oh. the stage where the internet and Jeff are. The, it's like the perfect union. It just gives me license to make stuff up, and then I'm pretty half sure I read it on the internet, but who knows? I exactly. Know, what would we say? Hey, Jeff. <laughs> yes. Tell me about another of the comics you really liked this week. I should. Um, okay, well, to stay on the DC tip briefly, uh, it's funny. There's like all these other books I really want to talk about, but a book that I picked up because I love the cover, I love the idea, and it just ended up being absolutely 100% enjoyable to me. Uh, issue 14 of Batman 66, the bat robot takes flight where uh, Jeff Parker, the first 10 pages are by Paul fucking Ravoche. And, um, Oh, did you drop out? 
No, I'm still here. Oh, okay. There was like, you know, when your Skype makes weird gas. Yeah, no, I, I just heard it. I have no idea what the hell happened. Okay. Well, if you can still hear me. Anyway, maybe it's like time to like, did someone say Paul Ravoche? Click. Oh my God. Uh, if he just appeared. Yeah, that would be <laughs> Siri. Call Paul Ravoche. Calling Paul Ravoche. Uh, so the bat robot takes flight. First 10 pages by Paul Ravoche. Uh, second 10 pages by Craig Russo. Fucking just great. Jeff Parker does the whole story. It is such a Silver Age DC story. It's wonderful. They build a Batman, a giant bat robot to break up crime in Gotham City. And then Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson go on a vacation. Because, of course, Bruce Wayne's like, you know, young lads should have a well-rounded life. Not an endless pursuit of the scourges of society. Now let's let technology continue its inevitable march, old chum, into the future of crime fighting. So you've got just a giant big bat robot that is perfectly designed. And for the first two thirds, there's always this kind of classic Silver Age thing of like, oh no, the bat robot has met its match. It's going to completely fail. And Batman and Robin are totally out of town. And then, no... It did it perfectly. And then it's like, oh, no, but are Batman and Robin going to become obsolete? All the way through the book, it is perfectly nuanced in that little Silver Age take. And just fabulous. I enjoyed reading it. I enjoyed having an enormous robot run around and fight things like the Clock King and having the Clock King be both basically saying all of the worst parts of my enemy in one movement. So it's just wonderful. Wonderful. I really enjoyed the hell out of that comic. Also a little frustrating. I mean, it was so good. I had bought the first, I don't know, 19, 20 issues of Batman 66 digitally, you know, so of course they get compressed. Um, yeah. And I was like, oh, holy shit, it, this is really, really good. And I jumped on to comiXology thinking like, mm, should I buy more of these? And ultimately there was an, a number of factors that weren't right, but I will be keeping my eye out on the stands uh, to see if, you know, I don't know if this is necessarily just kind of like, I, I felt like Jeff Parker had a really great take on Batman 66 to begin with, but the idea that he's kind of finessed it to the point where he can do something because this is clearly, like, too big to be just an episode of the Batman TV show. They couldn't have had a giant, big, you know, robot. I mean, and it's such the giant, big robot from, you know, the Japanese TV series that you might see in 1966, frankly. Yeah. You know? Um, but to be able to mix that and do a story that reads like a Silver Age DC story from that time period. It was, I was so glad I picked it up. I really loved the crap out of it. So, um, and I guess on, on that, of course, I, there's the, I've been reading the, the, uh, Hiro Kawata's bat manga that are coming out every week and just loving those. Like this was the three issue storyline where Batman, was basically getting his ass handed to him by the human ball, who is the guy who basically <laughs> could bounce. He is just a human ball. He is. He just rolls into a somersault, and then he's got a suit. This makes no... I mean, anyone who studied physics, you know, but it's also... It's brilliant for that. The suit 
absorbs everything and then allows him to to bounce repel so he he bounces around all over the place and is and there's a great scene where he all but batters robin to death um by just like just bouncing between the walls and bouncing off robin and it's kind of brutal there's a scene where batman like gets shot by a rubber bounding bullet and then is basically laid up and uh, it's just all good i mean it's dumb I mean, it's not smart, but it's like, it's good old bad Batman comics, which, you know, I've got a a soft spot for, and it looks beautiful, just gorgeous. So yeah, I've been very happy about Batman on the digital front. Um, And I should volley it back to you. Graham, do you have, you should talk about another book that you're reading recently. We'll just keep. Well, I'm going to talk about, because there was the uh, Excalibur Comics, which is my local comic store, had its 40th anniversary last month. Mm. 40 years of a comic store, which, as I was talking about with Sue, is like, is amazing. Four Mm. decades of a comic store is kind of amazing. Four decades of any independent business is amazing. But 40 years of a comic store in particular is just nuts. I'm sorry, Um, you said you were talking to Sue? Yeah, who, who who runs it. Ah, thank you. That is a little bit of context I think other listeners might have needed. Please continue. I'm sorry, I thought I actually said that. Clearly I didn't. Anyway, um, they finished off their month-long celebration of their anniversary Man. with a 50% off sale. I'm so sorry I missed that. Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, you would be, Jeff. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so I, I celebrated by going and getting some more uh, 1970s Superman comics, which, mm. as you know, is catnip to my brain. Mm-hmm. But more importantly, by completing my run... Of Steve Englehart's Justice League of America. Oh, yeah. Wow. Steve Englehart's Justice League of America is a thing of beauty. Mm. And, as people are fond of saying, is my Justice League of America now. (laughs) (laughs) I loved the shit out of it. Mm. And what is really funny is, I knew all the plot reveals. Mm -hmm. Because I read later Englehart, and Englehart being Englehart, Mm. like, you know, he follows his continuity and refers to it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you have a lot of like, who is this, you know, who is the mystery villain? I know because I've read Millennium. I read Millennium as a kid and it refers back to it. Wow. I still loved the shit out of these stories. And it's kind of great to see Engelhart bringing not only characters from his Avengers over mm-hmm. because he brings Mantis over and he kind of turns the red tornado into the vision. Wow. And and the construct is Ultron as well, with, and and he creates a relationship oh, between right, the construct. Of course, he creates a relationship between the construct and Red Tornado, which mm-hmm. is explicitly Ultron Vision. Mm-hmm. Um, but bringing the character dynamic and the dynamic of his Avengers issues over, mm-hmm. and bear in mind this is Englehart who has just been fired from Marvel, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so he's literally coming directly over from his Avengers, uh, and bringing that level of fun and self-awareness over oh shit graham you're gonna make me go get these. well that's God just it. it well it, when you're when you're up here later on this month i think mm-hmm. you should just read all the issues like right. i i think you should just you know that should be your bedtime reading check <laughs> there's there's only 10 issues oh really just 10 oh man it's just 10 that that must feel sort of painfully short because it sounds great. oh it re- well that's just it it really is it's basically enough for him to do one arc mm-hmm um, and then he, he quits comics for a while. Mm-hmm. And like the, the, the last page is them being like, we really hope Steve Englehart comes back because he's leaving comics. But the, like the letters page when the, the Englehart's 
like Engelhart's issues come out and the letters like all the letters are like holy shit the Steve Engelhart guy is making this the book the best it's ever been <laughs> uh, that's and they're so like gratifying. we know but like Engelhart is like midway through his run Engelhart does for the Justice League what he's done for the Avengers in that or more for Captain America mm-hmm. in that he creates a whole new origin for the Justice League of America before mm. their, their official origin by looking at the publication dates on which characters were where at a certain time. Holy and shit. And so you have, like, the Blackhawks and the Martian Manhunter and the Flash, but Hal Jordan, because Green Lantern hasn't come out yet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, all teaming up. Wow. Uh, and it's referred to, like, as the secret origin of the Justice League. Of course. Which is such a great, that's such a which, DC Silver Age idea anyway. Yeah, but it's it's done in such an Engelharty way, because he's, mm-hmm. like, totally being continuity nerd on it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that plays out into uh, what goes forward. So mm-hmm. you have characters refer to that and then be like, but you shouldn't know that. Mm-hmm. And so that then becomes a story. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have Wonder Woman leaves the team because she's being mind controlled by a villain, which comes out her's, as her being uh, explicitly feminist <laughs> and calling calling the Justice League out on their sexism. Wow. But it's because she's being mind-controlled. But because of that, you then have Hot Girl join the team. Because Hawkman's like, you guys are fucking nuts. Like, this woman is my equal. If you don't, like, if you want me, you get her. That's if you fantastic. don't want her, then fuck you guys, I'm leaving. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's great. You have, like, Green Arrow being misogynistic and other characters being like, okay, so you're liberal so far. Right. Like, right. you're not really a liberal. Yeah, I. you had that page on the Wait What podcast, and I'm like, oh, man, that's pretty... Pretty mind blowing, but exactly. So, so, so you have all this shit going on, and it's only ten issues. I mean, wow. it's ten double sized issues, so they're all like 35, 40 pages long. Oh wow! But yeah, it's 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 a, the, the period where it goes uh, to giant Justice League. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's there's a chunk there. There there there's a bunch of stuff. Wow. Um, but it's just it's great, and he he because I so I finished I got the last because I only had five issues before, and I got the last five. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, so I read those five, and then I was like, I'm going to read the whole run again. And realize how incredibly well he had constructed it. Again, I'm getting back to, like, setting things up. Mm-hmm. But, like, Snapper Carr comes back in the second last issue. Mm-hmm. But he sets us up, like, in maybe his second issue. Wow. By having character mention Snapper Carr. For what, at that point? It's, like, the first time in 30 issues. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Or, again, Martian Manhunter comes back at one point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's set up as well in an earlier issue. Wow. And and he he clearly had a plan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As my, uh, you have Aquaman and the Atom basically complain in their first issue about how their powers are so specific that it's kind of they're kind of useless in so many of the adventures. Mm-hmm. Uh, which sets up three issues later, Aquaman and the Atom are basically have their own story. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you, it's just all this stuff. It's great. It's so well done. And it, it is just, it's wonderful superhero comics in the, it's shameless mm-hmm. uh, in its embrace of cliches, mm-hmm. uh, but it manages to make some acceptable by making it all fun. Mm-hmm. And because it doesn't apologize, it's not like, you know, oh, I don't know about this. It's just like, isn't this stuff nuts? <laughs> <laughs> Let's just go, which uh, kind of ties back to what I think Jeff Barker's doing in Batman 66 as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where instead of being like, you know, Batman, 
robot. Well, you know, I, I should really try and explain this and, you know, put some sort of context in. And instead, Parker's like, Batman robot, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Right. <laughs> like, if you don't, if you're not on board with the Batman robot, maybe you shouldn't be reading this book. Right. Exactly. And, you know, but if you're, but if you're at all there on board with it, because I don't have to waste the time to actually explain it or excuse it, I can get to the absolute fun stuff that you you want to see, such as yeah, yeah. So so Engelhardt is just like that, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and but but he's so like you know aren't he's he's Morrison decades before Morrison. He's mm-hmm. the isn't all of this stuff great? Isn't mm-hmm. all of it great? Even the continuity is great. Let's use all of it to make something fun. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of which, since I'll keep this, since I've got more books to talk about, uh, Transformers versus GI Joe number two, Cybertron. Oh, now. so great, right? Oh man, wow, that was—it's it's just so great. <laughs> yeah. So for people, you may recall us like ranting crazily about the zero issue and the first issue. Uh, the ranting continues as issue two has the Joes basically invading uh, Cybertron because Cybertron is a rogue planet that is approaching the Earth. A G.I. Joe strike team, you know, led by Scarlet, approaches the world and essentially begins the process of, you know, more or less, like, uh, hostily terraforming it. It's just... Yes, which which is kind of amazing that they're like, what are we going to do? Let's fucking... Like plants tree bombs here, yes. and then you have the transformers being like, "What the fuck is this?" Yeah, exactly. Like, what the fuck? And so when they when like when the Joes set up their perimeter, they're like in this grassy part of the planet, and just so there's so much good stuff. There's 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 a scene where there's because I had never known about the Constructicons, who are these various like you know, uh, five or six Transformers that turn into a ginormous Transformer called the Devastator. There's just an awesome double-page spread of the Devastator and the giant uh, Trypticon, the draconian capital of the Decepticon Empire, that's basically a giant dinosaur with a gun in its mouth. You get a double page of those two things, like opening fire on the G.I. Joe space shuttle combined spaceship. Um, And then that leads to, like, two pages later when the ship gets destroyed, uh, Scarlet bails out on her motorcycle, lands on the end of this giant gun, and, like, drives off and does, like, a... It's just insane. It's like she it does is, an evil can evil jump off a giant robot and then turns around and blows it into its individual pieces. Awesome. It really is just the <laughs> ultimate like oh my god, my inner 12-year-old is just in heaven right now. And and I was an inner 12-year-old kind of was Transformers. That's what I was going to say. It's kind of nuts that it sort of reduces you to that mm-hmm. when you didn't ha- you don't have the nostalgic background. Because for me, I'm like, it's Devastator. I totally remember the Constructicons. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, I really do. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's from, I have that, I have a really strong emotional attachment to that, much mm-hmm. stronger than I expected. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so when I see the double page spread, I'm like, oh, holy shit. I remember as a kid, 
getting the British Transformer comics and getting the British Transformer comics that had these characters in it. And, you know, I have this weird moment of, like, it's a Friday night and I'm done with school for the week and this comic's just come out and I Mm -hmm. totally, totally remember buying it at the store. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I have that when I read this. But so it's funny for you to be like, my twelve-year-old is going, "Fuck you, it's great." Whereas you didn't have that experience, right? Exactly, exactly. I didn't. But there's all these little pieces. Like, how do I put it? There are times where because this this com this issue is so super compressed. Part of me is like, ah, oh, man, it would be great to have it. Like there, there's moments I, I don't want to spoil it, but there's there's a character who returns who shows up in the dead of night essentially, and it's just kind of a it's a great moment. But there's a way in which it's like yeah, but I don't really know the character. I don't know who they are. Like you know, there's but there's no way short of doing you know Transformers versus GI Joe Eternal where it's a weekly comic and this happens in like week sixteen. You know that you could you could like give that scene like the sort of appropriate level of of depth that you want. Like everything. Well, the other thing is, do you really want it to have that depth? Is part of the thrill of this not that it is just like here's a nuts idea, here's a nuts idea, yes. here's a nuts idea. Well, see, that's it. I mean, there's kind of there's two ways to sort of do it. That here's a nuts idea, or like here's a long form thing with a steady stream of nuts ideas, but you get all the characterization, and it kind of. But even half the time, again, like with Batman Eternal, it wouldn't have worked. They would have just said, okay, well, we've got to remember this character's dead, this character's dead, this character's dead. Oh, let's bring him back. But maybe someone can mention that he's still dead before, so we know. Not that we're going to bother to embellish anyone's feelings. So it's the Transformers. Well, the fun thing about the comic is, like, I I really do. I enjoy it, and it's got all these wonderful moments. But it's a little bit like those... Um, you know, like those little sponge animals that you throw in the bathtub for kids and it expands upwards. You know what I mean? Like it's a <laughs> it's a book that I feel like will grows more largely in the memory. Like the the yeah, beats are yeah. all there, but you have to you kinda have to add the you water have to, fill to it sort in. of yeah. expand it. Yeah. Here but, here's a question yeah. about something in the art for this book. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's just me. Does Scarlet look like a Frank Miller drawing to you throughout the book? Uh yeah. Actually, there's a lot of stuff here where there's kind of a weird, but yeah, I, I'm like, Jesus, she looks like Miller, but because some of this, it reminds me of when Miller gets to his, some of his really high cartoony phase, kind of, you know, mm-hmm. but if you look at the inside cover of issue two, and I maybe that's not possible for you since you have it digitally, there's a No, shot. no, I, I have the actual book. Oh, okay. So if you open that up and you look inside and it's like the, you know, half Decepticon, half Scarlet, that looks, that looks crazily Steve Ditko to me too. I was going to say, yeah, it is. It's Mm -hmm. very Ditko. Yeah. Yeah. There are, there are so many, um, influences on this and mm -hmm. there's drawing from so many places that it goes, it's both amazingly Kirby still, but also, yeah. Like it's also like seventies Ditko and mm-hmm. you know early eighties Miller and, and yes he's pulling I you know I, more than anything it reminded me of um, Ed Pisker's Hip Hop Family Tree mm, yes absolutely yeah 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 you know? that, and, that's and a so great you have, comparison you have this really weird like it's all over the fucking shop yeah 
Yeah, it really is. It's kind of, it's kind of and what it's you a, look It's for. a Transformers G.I. Joe comic. And it really is. Yeah, exactly. It's 110% that. I know that for some people, uh, Copra didn't exactly float their boat, but it sort of reminds me of the same thing that Michelle Fief's doing with was doing with Copra in the sense of like, I'm taking Suicide Squad, I've got my own spin on it, but I'm also doing it in a very indie in a very indie way so that it feels like a very very you you get that weird sort of double vision of like holy shit i'm reading a gi joe comic i'm also reading like a very clever sort of deconstruction slash reconstruction you know of the stuff that matters to the the creator it, it is this really strange like i am almost reading a pastiche of the material, but it is also the material. Yes, exactly. I, yeah, I, yeah th- th- there's there's a really strange dissonance that it feels it feels very much like an independent comic. It feels like a mini comic mm-hmm. that you know he somehow managed to just sneak out via IDW. Yeah, exactly, exactly. The fact that this is going out with the IDW imprimatur, like I don't. I don't necessarily know how or where they might go with that sort of concept next, but man, it is, it, it's, it's really kind of a, hopefully everyone is being taken care of because it is, it is a lovely approach to, to licensed comics. It'd be kind of fun to see, see something uh, done like this, although it's really kind of hard to imagine seeing it done as well. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's weird. You almost think like this can't last. Right. No, exactly. Like, like, like that, that's almost your first response to it. Just, yeah. just like, surely not. Right. Right. And in fact, yeah. I picked up this issue kind of in a way of being like, okay, so this is going to be the little bit of the come down issue. So, okay, I'm ready for that. And, uh, and, and that is like, hey, I'm going to ramp everything up and you're going to kind of be surprised this actually made it out. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You, you've got to pick, you know, you thought you were thought you were jaded and you weren't going to have your jaw drop well guess what so um so hey i've got a question for you yes you mentioned uh uh thief did you read the second issue of captain victory oh no i didn't see that it was out shit it might here's the thing it may not be out because i know i have it in comps and i don't know if i got it in this week's comps or last week comps Uh so if it's this week for example it's not actually to next week okay that that makes more sense to me because i don't think i saw it on the stand so, um, but Fief does uh, uh, some space in there. So it does some pages in there, mm-hmm. um, and does a really good. There, there's definitely a Kirby element to his art that I think had been not as obvious, I guess, to me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. before, because uh, it's it's also very much his art. Mm-hmm. It, he's he's not drawing in, in you know in I am doing Kirby, which mm-hmm. many artists do, uh, but it definitely fits in. With the the idea that it is uh, within the Kirby space, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which which I really appreciate. I'm not going to say anything more about that because I think we should talk about it when you've read it. Because we both talked about Omega the Unknown in the first issue, right? And yeah, you should really read it, and then we should talk about it. Mm, interesting. Because okay. remember, we were like, "Oh, it's kind of weird. It's like he's landed in the 70s." Right. Well, actually, I think that might have been your point. I I don't remember. Yeah, but but oh, Jeff, no, no, no. Yeah. Uh huh. He's he's explicitly landed in the seventies. They're mm. throwing like references to television albums out. Wow, wow. Um, okay. yeah. So yeah. Interesting. All right. Well, we will revisit that. I should mention as long as we're as long as we're 
connecting dots. I picked up the second issue of Night World uh, by Adam McGovern and Paolo Leandri. Uh, I've still never read the first issue, and I've oh, got man. it. I just stopped. I yeah. read it. Yeah, you should you should make it a point to sit down and read it. I feel like the second issue um, is well, it's funny because on the one hand, there's the influences that are still there. I still enjoy them. Uh, in some ways, it's kind of it's it's getting closer to feeling like oh, what if what if Todd McFarlane had gotten Jack Kirby to do Spawn, you know, um, which is kind of mind blowing still, and yet. The pacing kind of lags a little bit in the second issue. I found myself a little impatient. There were parts where it was like, oh, this could be great, but it's kind of meh. still enjoyable. Still glad I picked it up. But but as long as we're updating on our on our um, our Kirby influenced books, I do want to say I picked it up. I still liked it. But it but by the same token, I was also a little I was also a little let down, if I have to be honest. There was a very interesting three pages in there that or maybe four pages that, that have a, as they say, an unexpected guest star, um, for reasons for, um, uh, I think metatextual reasons. And that moment didn't work a, for a, me. A recognizable guest star? Um, yeah, let's just say that the devil has a, uh, an engine that basically, um, drains, the essence of people, essentially people who sell their soul to the devil become fuel. And so there's this gorgeous, like giant machine on this double page spread, very Kirby ish with all the souls in torment who are basically being melted and shoved into this nut giant furnace while the devil talks about like the engine of our living standard and an inexhaustible source of energy. It shows what you can be when part of when you're a team player and then he talks to the custodian, the super who's who who basically keeps the machine running, and that is essentially. So, um, well, spoilers, Jeff. Yeah, right. I know. Hey, you had to. You asked. I so. wasn't asking for you to actually. No, Graham, you were. Your lips were saying uh, no. Yeah, it's... don't even go there. Don't, yeah, don't Sorry. even. Yeah. Like, anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to get that away. Yeah. But it is kind of an it's one of those moments where yeah, I should have I should have well, I can always edit it and just ruin it for you and not for anyone else. I probably won't. <laughs> um That'd be hilarious if you just cut and then you're like, I spoiled it for Graham and then yeah. just go back and to me like yeah, Exactly you being like Thanks. Yeah, maybe I, I wish I was that motivated. Maybe I'll do it. In any event, what was interesting was it's only really three pages, but it sort of felt like Maybe I'm already uh, um, that bell's been rung a couple of uh, a lot lately, and it just it wasn't any it wasn't a particularly new take on it in that sense. So yeah. that, that was a little frustrating. Uh, another book that that was kind of a oh hey I've really been liking this and and this was the issue where I'm like oh this is this book really is like the sum of all of its parts. Uh, issue five of Flash Gordon quite enjoyable. But it's interesting. Part one has almost a prologue, a yeah, by Sandy Jarrell with finishes by Richard Case, and and even though it's exactly the same book and everything looks fine, it's not until I got to part two where it's where it is. It's you know the the team of Parker and Shaner and Bel Air that it's kind of like ah okay this is this is what I love this is what I love. You know, even though it's a, it's a very short little set of pages, unfortunately, maybe too short. Like I don't 
hopefully this isn't going to be their new pattern going forward. And God knows Shaner's work is, it wouldn't surprise me if it takes a while to do because it's so brilliantly done, but uh, kind of, kind of a drag, kind of a drag, not, not a put me off the book far from it, but, um, but still kind of, a drag. I, I had a, I had a very similar reaction to the, the guest art where I was like, it's so close, but yeah. it's not the same. And it all just feels a bit off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Like part, part of me almost wished, I wish you'd gone for an artist who wasn't so close. Right. Exactly. It's almost like, yeah, just just make a jump. Just go with some other approach. Because, cause, but I mean, on the other hand, you sort of want the continuity. You want people to feel like, oh, okay, I'm looking at the same book. And in fact, um, they definitely marketed the cover very much like it. They don't mention the... They don't mention Sandy Jarrell or Richard Case on the cover. It's definitely but a what's really Bellar. fascinating is it basically says number one. On yes, yeah, which is which is really interesting, right? Yeah, yeah, I thought so too. Because like, it's issue five, right? But it, it does, like they pretty much play it up as it because I think it says like number one in a new story or something like yes, that. Yes, like first chapter in a new story arc, and then they give you the big like it's Flash and it looks like a first issue, and I'm kind of like. Well, if that's what you got to do to kind of draw people to it, it's such a damn good book. You know, I really want people reading this. So, um, yeah. You know what else I have to say? I read a whole handful of fan- really strong first issues and even a fantastic second issue um, because thanks to Marvel Unlimited with their, their six-month delay. Oh, you're uh, you're probably catching up to things like She-Hulk and She-Hulk, Miss Marvel, and Moon Knight, all of which were extraordinarily, I think, quite strong, enjoyable first issues. And holy shit, Charles Sewell, the first issue and second issue of She-Hulk are uh, on Marvel Unlimited, and they're both great. They're both terrific. I I actually, like I said, I liked them all across the board, but I was like. Man, Marvel came out of the gate with some really strong books at that point. Um, Have you read Ms. Marvel before? uh, You had. I had read the, I want to say I read most of it as a preview, like 10 or 12 pages, but I don't think, I don't think I read the full thing. I had not read Mm -hmm. the full thing. They gave away a chunk of it. I was like, eh. Um, And it's, and and then when I read all of the first issue, I'm like, okay, this, this all works. It's it's a little on that kind of it's how Marvel sort of likes their kind of first issues. It's a little too decompressed, but on the other hand, I thought the, you know, everything with the characters are so intriguing. It doesn't really matter. You know, I I am going to be uh, the traditional downer and say, I found the second storyline from his Marvel, a significant drop from the first. Oh. Uh, it's it's a two parter and it's a fairly fast one. It's like, hey, and here's a guest star and his Wolverine, mm-hmm. um, and it it felt like it was lacking so much of the charm, which it remained entirely consistent up until that point. Hmm. Um, and then the fact that it ends up with uh, Medusa and the Inhumans being like, we will track down this new Inhuman. With Lockjaw just made me think, oh, God, right. is this just going to become like a guest star book from now on? Because I am not on board with that. Well, you know, it's kind of funny. I had that feeling. One of the things that I really liked uh, was I had seen, thanks to the miracle of Marvel Unlimited, I feel like I've seen at least one, if not two, 
other kind of like, oh, here's inhumanity, you know, and it's the, the or inhuman, um, you know, spreading its plot uh, wings across everything. Like in well, the sure, it's, it's in Mighty Avengers. Yeah, for, exactly. For yeah, yeah and, I, and I feel like, uh, you know, Ewing's doing so much great stuff in the Mighty Avengers. There was still a way in which it was kind of like, eh, all right. But, but with Ms. Marvel, I kind of had this, the way she handled the one-two punch of, the, of it being the Terrigen Mist. But also what was so delightful about it is because it's also at this point where she sees it as images of her heritage. You know what I mean? Like it, it plays it both ways. And that really worked for me. And at the end, I remember thinking, oh, okay, that's actually a very serviceable way to have an origin. And in the back of my brain, I'm like, and I just hope they don't ever bring up the inhuman thing ever again. So the idea that they're actually being like, no, let's. Bring in Medusa and Lockjaw and all that other stuff. I was just like, oh, I'm I'm a little yeah. sorry to hear that. So yeah, because it, it, I felt that Willow dealt with it really well in the start by basically being like, okay, for people who know what it is, that it is. Mm-hmm. But the the but Kamala doesn't, right. and that's okay too. Yeah, no, and in that sense, it actually did kind of remind me of. Uh, you know, almost like Fortress of Solitude or something like that, where the way in uh, by um, by Lethem that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, just something in which the way in which she gets powers is it's almost more literary than it is super heroical. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And but it works at both levels. And I really appreciated the um, that that I thought was something that could have really fallen flat and and didn't. It was, that was part of why when I finished up that book, I was like, oh, man, I can't wait to read the next issue of this, you know? Yeah, the so. first six issues, I think, mm-hmm. five issues, six, six issues, are really strong. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the next two-parter is – the next two-parter just feels like a good superhero comic, if that makes sense. Sure. Because I, th- I, think, I think the opening arc is is amazing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's a very, very, very strong comic. Yeah. And then it just turns into like a good superhero comic, which made me kind of sad. Yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see where it goes. Maybe it may come back from that. Um, yeah. I should. I mentioned that I picked up issue five of the Lumberjanes. I pretty much written the book off, and I think, in fact, I had missed an issue. Um, but I noticed that it looked like they had a different editor than than the first couple of issues, and it was they put in dinosaurs in it, and of course, so it's so much them being attacked by dinosaurs and especially a great very devil dinosaur looking dinosaur although i don't think that's intentional that um i had to pick up the book and i think i could be wrong but i feel like the book is is um starting to tighten up i'm hoping that maybe they you know as we were bitching they did get a new editor and the editor was like yeah you got to kind of have you got to give us a we need a stronger sense of the roadmap and where you're going to go with this. So not perfect, but a very strong improvement, I think, from the first couple of issues I read. So um, so for those people who end up disappointed from Miss Marvel, but want to pick up strong female characters, maybe they'll be happier with it. I don't know. It, it's interesting. I have to say, I really like the Scooby-Doo team up, too, that came out. I think just this week, unless it was also last week, where it's... Who is he teaming up with now? The Super Friends. It's all of them teaming up with the Super Friends call in Scooby and Mystery Incorporated because 
the uh, the rainbow ghosts came in and basically made Superman disappear because of course he's susceptible to magic. So they're like, yeah, we've, we've got to have you figure out, solve this mystery, but we don't want to like panic everyone and let people know that, that you guys, you know, are here. So we're going to dress half the team up as Marvin and Wendy and wonder dog. And the other half is Zan and Jaina from the wonder twins. And that was just, that was great. Cause of course the idea of having Shaggy be dressed up as Melvin from, you know, of Melvin and Wendy fame. It's perfect. It's it's once again Charlie Fish is doing just like amazing, great all ages work that is really clever and funny and smart. So um having Stop it, Charlie Fish, you're ruining it for everyone. Oh man. Just the fact that what happens is the ghosts end up catching Scooby and the gang and they're like and they think they're the junior super friends and they're like, wait a minute, I know those kids and so so Scooby and the gang actually get unmasked by the villains, which is great. He's like, these aren't junior super friends. These meddling kids are really those meddling kids. That's <laughs> that is hilarious. That's really clever. That's just really so well done. Um, and also in the all ages, very enjoyable uh, Southern Bastards number four. Um which Very I have much. not read, but I've seen so many people on the internet basically like, holy shit, that ending. Yeah, it was great. Really good. Oh, uh, it was good. I really, because I kind of had that little bit of, well, let's just say there, there's, there's the, how the hell do you manage to kind of, like, Aaron and Latour have taken the character and the situation to where it's either going to kind of go one of two ways and miraculously enough, they sort of manage to go both ways at the same time. So they have a real, they get to have their cake and eat it too, in terms of the, you know, are we doing sort of a, a something closer to a real life, you know, sort of Southern crime comic, or are we doing like a tribute to sort of the larger than life Southern exploitation walk and tall type comic? And they managed to, they managed to do it both. God damn them. And they did it great. It's like you finish up that that issue and you're like, yes, I want the I want the very next issue of that now, please. So, okay, yeah. I what you've actually done is convince me not to read this issue until this issue's out. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, not to not to read which issue until which issue? The the, for, the fourth issue until the fifth issue's out. Oh, really? Interesting. Well, because you're like the third person that I've seen right. who has said that very thing. Oh, I you see. get to the end of this issue and you want to read the next issue immediately. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. And here's the thing. I forgot to read this issue, so <laughs> I can do that. Yeah, there you go. You just have a, a little while longer to go. Did you read chapter 22 of Saga, and what did you think? Yes. Um, I liked it. I actually <laughs> liked it more than I've liked the last couple of issues. Okay. Uh, I, I, still, um, I still think that uh, Vaughn's rushing to the point of being unbelievable the the breakup of the characters yes yeah that unfor uh, that was unfortunate it felt like it was like it's almost at least an issue too soon right you know yeah mm -hmm. uh yeah I, to the point where like i felt weirdly cheated that we uh, when when uh alana confronts him and says like you said her name in your, in your sleep mm -hmm. like part of my response was like that feels unearned mm-hmm because totally. because I don't feel like I don't feel like we've seen anything to suggest that he has anything to feel guilty for yet. 
Mm-hmm. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Well, I don't know. I, I felt I felt really. I don't know. I guess I wanted to see more of that, and I guess sure. the the the, uh, the you've been high around our daughter scene also felt like like I felt like I had missed an issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought so too. And that's usually that's usually a sign that they skip something important, you know. And who knows? Maybe maybe Vaughn gave it a couple of tries, and he just couldn't figure out a way to have that stuff grow. Like I think I, I feel, although I could be wrong, it makes sense to me that sort of the same way the characters have to be surprised in terms of what the other character knows. And so I think it sort of makes sense the idea that we as the readers also have to be surprised, even though in theory we see this coming. Like I really feel like he's trying to be like, okay, I want you to have the experience these characters are having, which is that same feeling of like, oh shit, maybe things are going off the rails, you know, but also, oh shit, I had no idea that it it was going to happen this fast. Like that classic, like looking back, it shouldn't be a surprise at all, but it's a surprise. Um, I know, but that's just it. Like, looking back, I don't feel that it's earned. Well, uh, do you know what I mean? Like, I, yes. I feel that both of them made accusations that would feel more, that would have more weight if other things had happened. Sure. I, I guess what I'm saying is, is um, we, we have that, we know it's coming because Hazel because told us. Told. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So in that sense, it's, in that sense, it's a little bit of a cheat. The things that we, you know, it would have been in some ways better for us to not have been told that and then see the scenes and then have the surprise. But I think, I don't oh know, I see your point, but there's a way in which I'm kind of like, sometimes I do think that it's better to err on the side of sooner and potentially yeah. earned. Well, well, he, but here's the thing. Like I said, I actually enjoyed this issue more than I've enjoyed the last couple of issues. Yeah. So I, it's not like it's thrown. Like I felt like I was more close to being thrown out of the book in the, with the last two issues than yes, this, with this. And issue. you said, and I sort of feel uh, like this was going. Of course, this also had the great moment of Prince Robot Four's dad is just. What that was. That was a great surprise reveal. I thought that was fantastic. Yeah. I and I actually thought the the, the cliffhanger was really good as well. Yes. The, cliff, yeah, yeah, yeah. the cliffhanger did not go where I thought it was going to go, uh, in in a good way. Yeah, uh, I, I really like that. I have I have a question though. Mm-hmm. Were you thrown out by the different colors of the dialogue from Alana, or was it just me? That that, that her her dialogue change, her speech balloons change between purple and black for seemingly yeah. no reason. Like uh, I I didn't get that. Is it a language thing? Is she supposed to be speaking different languages? Oh, interesting. I kind of thought that it was either you know sort of her like i'm speaking in character voice voice i suppose or but but it's not like she says it when she's not in character and at first for a while i was like is it when she's high and when she's not? yeah and that's what i thought too. but that's also not the case because Mm. she switches between them in the same conversation right right yeah i guess maybe i guess it is different languages because they do have that little point where I don't know if so. It does confuse it because, of course, you've got that thing where the language translators go out and then everyone's speaking in different colored language. But, of course, the thing that's frustrating is they actually have the grandmother literally speaking in a different language, too. Yeah. Whereas in order to make it it work, she should have been understandable. I got got weirdly caught up in that. Hmm. I I was like, 
like, has this always been the case and I've just never noticed? Interesting. The, the color of her dialogue is, is flipped between them? Right. Or, like, is there is it a purpose that I'm not getting? But, yeah, it was one of those things where I was reading it. Like, I was reading the book for the first time. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I feel like I'm missing something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Which is never what you want to Yes, absolutely. Happen. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I gotta say, I, I, I'm very happy that I did not read it, uh, closely enough to notice. Um, <laughs> hey, okay. I, so something that did come out this week, but I read it a few weeks ago because that's my life. Um, did you read, uh, Jan, Jan Van Meter's, um, uh, Dr. Mirage? No. Death, oh, what's it called? The Death Defying? I think it is the Death Defying something of, it's so funny. I just assumed, I saw the cover and I, I assumed it was that, uh, it was a fancy cover for the, um, the Mark Wade book that he's doing for no, it's called the Death Defying Doctor Mirage, mm-hmm. and Jeff, it's so good. Yeah, uh, Valiant have been good, and you and I have spoken about this in the past. Yes, like Valiant have been really solid as a company. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the best Valiant book yet by wow. leagues. Really, it's uh, it's also significantly different to mm-hmm. all the Valiant, other Valiant books. The closest thing is in many ways Shadow Man, mm-hmm. but whereas Shadow Man just didn't work. Mm-hmm. Uh, Doctor Mirage really does. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's 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 great. Like it it is a Jeff. Next time you go back to the store, you have to make a point of picking it up. Mm-hmm. Great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I may I may do that or digital. Or do you think it didn't work as well as uh, might not work as well? I as I I think either would be fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could be wrong. I want to say that in print there might be like a, a dollar more expensive edition that has more pages. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'll leave it up to you. Okay. But it's great, Jeff. It's, it's just like spot on in a week of good comics. It's one of the best. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. My goodness, sir. Well, uh, I will see that and raise you. Michael DeForge's lose number six hit the shelves this week at least our shelves over at comics experience and holy fucking shit. Did that blow my mind? Oh man. He is Michael DeForge is a monster. And I, I believe I mean that in the best sense possible. <laughs> I mean that in the literal sense. He, he, uh, he may w- actually fingers and he's uh-huh. scaly. Yeah. I think actually in this issue, he may literally, yeah, he may literally become a monster, but yeah, there is a long, Beautiful, guys. How long is it? Thirty pages, forty pages. Perfect story about. Um, and I, admittedly, from where I'm at in my point in my life, I could really empathize with the part of the the protagonist is a woman who uh, is going to pick up her niece and take her to a music recital, and um, of course, you know takes her through the old neighborhood where, you know, the protagonist and her sister grew up and the, the daughter's like, Oh, they, my mom tells me to stay away from this neighborhood. And then of course she ends up getting her clarinet stolen by a member of the mafia. And of course the mafia looks like a big demonic monster with a tail and a big cloak. And the woman in the process of trying to get the clarinet back because it also has the sheet music of the song that the girl wrote that she was going to be performing at this, the lengths, the nightmarish, nightmarish situation in which the aunt single aunt finds herself is 
phenomenal. It is a chilling, hilarious horror story that struck me right in the heart of the, oh my God, we're seeing our niece this weekend and I got her tickets to a frozen sing-along and I know this is going to end up with me cutting off someone's ear too. It's great. Absolutely phenomenal. Nightmarish and phenomenal. Gotta that say. That sounds wonderful. I, I, I think I'll pick that up. Yeah, definitely keep an eye out for it. Um, Finder, Third World came out this week and I picked it up. I'm only about 40 pages into it, but it seems to be the short pieces that I think might have some of which, at least some of which ran in dark horse presents in which, uh, Jaeger down on his luck basically ends up taking a job, at, for a messenger service. And of course, this is kind of the perfect way for him to sort of, for, for Carlos speed McNeil to tell more sort of, sort of almost private eye detective stories in a, in a very unexpected way. The deliveries that he has to make, um, or the people that he gets involved with are, um, different from what you expect. And it all sort of, as always shows new angles and new lights on Carla speed McNeil's wonderful world building that she has built out. Fantastic. Really, really good. I, I mean, maybe it'll go wrong after page 40 and I'll, I'll be, telling everyone to ignore me, but holy shit, it is so good. And full color, which is not something that I'm used to seeing in a Finder book either, so also really amazing. I approve. I am so, so far behind in Finder because I didn't even really discover it until you recommended it a few years ago. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah. And it's funny, you and um, Rachel Edison are both like, this is one of the best comics in the world. Yes. You are a moron for not reading it. You should read it more. <laughs> it's true. Like, I, yeah. I didn't really properly dive into it until Dark Horse started putting out their collections. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's so tough. I, I'm there's, significantly there's... behind. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I, but you know, I don't know. It's interesting. I sort of, part of me is like, ah, you could almost jump in on this one cold. You don't have to read a lot of other stuff. Although I'm not really sure if that's true or not. Cause you know, this is, this is the, this is Jaeger. This is, you know, McNeil's main character from the very first book. But because he's kind of always a rootless down on his luck kind of individual, um, I'm like, eh, you can just jump in on this, especially the fact that they're little bite-sized stories. Really good. But yeah, Finder is, oh, it's so great. Graham, I have a conundrum. Before we go, there is something that I want to do, and I still haven't figured out how to do it yet, which is... Is it the thing we talked about in email this morning? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So everyone... Oh, how how do we do it? How do I do don't it? know, because I was like, what I'll do is I'll come up with... You know with what? A... I th I think we should have two mm -hmm. completely, like, random jerks, like, mm -hmm. in direction. I think that should be the second, because before we get to that, because I know this is going to lead to the end of the show, I want to say very quickly that I said I'd plug two things. The second thing I'm plugging oh. is on the 20th of September, mm -hmm. ladies and gentlemen, um, at Rose City Comic Con. Um, in here in Portland, Portland, Oregon, um, I'm going to be moderating the Judge Dread panel. Oh, holy shit! Uh, it's going to be me, Douglas Walk, uh, Ulysses, uh, who drew Meg City Two with Douglas, and Arthur Wyatt, who drew who writes the uh, Dread movie spinoffs for 2080 uh, and the magazine. Really? Yes, and we're going to be talking about Judge Dread. And so, if you are in Portland, hey people, come on! That's right. 
come on by. You got to check it out. It is worth mentioning that the this the series that that Mr. Wolk and Mr. Farinas did. Uh, Mega City Two, City of Courts, just came out as a trade this week. Yeah, I was gonna say just yeah, just the other day. Yeah, yeah. I have all the issues. Otherwise, I I certainly would have picked it up. Um, and back in my older, younger, more libertine days, I probably would have. But uh, um, it, it, you know, yeah, that's that's good to know. Okay, so the twentieth, everybody, you can do that. Interestingly enough. Last week, for me, I stopped in to say hello to uh, Leaf at uh, Mission Comics, um, who's just getting ready to celebrate his five-year anniversary, which is amazing to me. I'm so happy that he's around and made it through those first five years, which are super tough. And he's doing a ton of signings uh, and things, which... I'm, I, I'm going to interrupt very quickly to say, everyone, this is Mission Comics and Art in San Francisco. Thank it's you. It's 3520 20th oh, Street man. Wow, that's a little too much, Graham. That shows me up for the cad that I am. Hey! No, you, no you're no, you the one who brought it up in the first place. I'm just saying, again, yes. if you're in San Francisco, people... Uh, yes, oh. right. Yeah, Portland to San Francisco, people, you're in for a big treat. In fact, it would not surprise me in any event... Mission Comics and Arts, uh, I showed up to say hello to Leaf because he is an awesome individual and a fine, and also I wanted to peruse his comic stuff because I'm sure he had great, great things there. And he does. I'm trying to think what else I got. But in fact, I showed up in mid-signing from Justin Greenwood, who is drawing the fuse. Uh, you people probably remember us talking about the fuse. It's the science fiction procedural crime comic uh, that Image is publishing by Anthony Johnston and Justin Greenwood in which a murder takes place in a fabulous um, floating city, the the orbiting energy platform, the Fuse. Uh, first six issues got collected in a trade and just released because I already had all the individual issues. I did not pick it up for myself. But I did get Justin to um, inscribe it to Lucky Listener, um, and we will be giving away Lucky this. Listener X. Yes, Lucky Listener X. You have your opportunity to get a signed copy of the Feud Trade Paperback Volume 1, collecting the first six issues. A lovely, lovely deal. We just have to figure out what sort of ridiculous hoop that we can make you jump through. Well, I, I, I think your email suggestion was perfectly fine. Jeff Foster. Well, but my email suggestion was hunt something up from – I wasn't able to easily find what I was looking for uh, and therefore worried that therefore nobody else would either, you know? So really? yeah. the, 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 the question that you asked, the question that you posted you couldn't find an answer for? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that is what I'm saying. Although what, what – I think that makes it an even better contest. No, because then I'm never going to know. I Don't you think? Like, I feel... Hold on. I've got to check and make sure that I didn't say something different than you're like, yeah, they just have to tell you what year was Jeff and Edie married. Um, oh, my God. That'd be great. <laughs> People, what year was Jeff and Edie married? No, that, they're never going to be able to find that. So That's, that's what makes it funny to me. Oh, you're, you're a rude bastard, Graham McMillan. Sometimes... Um, Oh, do you want to mention the Rogue Trooper sale? Because I think that probably that might still be going on by the time. I that think this I think that posted. might actually be over by the time that this. I thought it was posted. all week. In, in case, it, week? yeah, but this will be posted on Monday, Jeff. 
Yeah. Didn't, okay. didn't the sale in go case, up on Tuesday? Or? In case it is still running, which I don't think it is, and Jeff thinks it's going to be. Um, right now, as we record, 2080's online store is running a 50% off sale for Rogue Trooper Digital Collections, which means you can get the um, the 400-page-long case files. I yes. think it's called Tales from New Earth. There's three volumes of that that are 400 pages that are the original series, uh, and they are, in American dollars, about 869 or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're great. They're really, really, really good. Uh, there's also a fourth volume, which I'm going to pick up, which is ev- the later period of that, everything featuring that character that appeared after the original run was over. Mm-hmm. Uh, which features stuff by Gordon Rennie. I think it's got John Smith's Cinnabar in there, which is an amazingly good series. Um, yes, and that is, again, I think about 869 in terms of dollars. Right. Uh, there's also a bunch of shorter collections for, for less money. But yeah, yes. it, 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 even if it's not available, the, uh, I do feel that people who are always curious about jo- uh, Judge Dredd and 2000 AD when we talk about it but haven't read it, should look at the digital collections that are available in the 2000 AD store because there's some great stuff there for not that much money. Yes. Um, if you are not, if you have an iPad and you don't mind the fact that you're chained to DRM, those Rogue Trooper books are six ninety nine uh, via the I- iPad app. So, But you don't have the freedom... Um, but you know, but it's really easy, like a certain somebody did to, at the end of a long day, be like, Oh, what the hell? And buy two or more volumes all at a go. So I need to figure out, Hmm. I, Hmm. Okay. Here it is. People, the first person to email me at, uh, let's do the wait, what podcast at gmail.com to email me with the name of the person who did the variant cover for issue three of the fuse will get this trade pay, fine trade paperback of the first six issues of the fuse signed and illustrated by Justin Greenwood um, mailed to them. How's that? That sounds like a good, contest, that's, that's, right? a, that's a, that's a good deal. I need to go yeah. Jeff. I'm also going to say talking about Mr. Greenwood that he's also illustrating the new Stumptown series by Greg Rucker that that's is right. launching super soon like right. maybe even this month yeah. uh if not this month the next month because i've definitely read the first issue and it's uh it's great i'm i'm a big fan i'm very glad to see stumpton back yeah and uh he's there and in fact i'm willing to bet i i'm 80 to 90 percent sure he he will be at rose rose city comic festival uh, I, I would be there. very surprised if he's not purely because stumptown's yeah. coming out do you know what i mean like it, yes it just seems like out. almost exactly. a no-brainer that he'll yeah. be there yeah exactly um, so what we're saying is, if you happen to be in Portland on the 20th to 21st, Rose City Comic Con is going on, and you should visit. If you are there at 12 o'clock on the 20th, that is when the Judge Dredd panel is. And you'll see just how bad I am at public speaking. Spoilers, very. That's not so true. You've done like a ton. You've done so many I have, now. but that doesn't mean I'm good at it. <laughs> I'm looking up the special guests to see if we can see if if Justin got on the list here. Yes, Justin Greenwood is indeed uh, a guest at Rose City Comic Con. So yeah, September 20th, 21st, come out for Graham, stay for Justin Greenwood. Um, One of you try and win this paperback from us and then get a second illustration from him. He's an incredibly, incredibly nice, smart well-rounded guy. It's, it was a little terrifying. It's always terrifying to meet a well-adjusted person in comics, but, um, 
but he that was he. You, you would hate Rose City, like because Rose City is full of a bunch of great people. Oh, whatever you and your no, Portland but it really is. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're all from Portland. Fl- blah blah blah. Yeah, we're awesome. Wow. And on that note, as the big Oh, I'll sure. End it with a moment of dramatic jealousy for me. You really do. You do. You're like, oh, Jeff's going to blow it at some point and just be awful. And that's when I'll end it. <laughs> oh, man. You know what we should talk about before we go? Hmm. We talked about doing a crossover. We didn't say what it was. Oh, that's right. Exactly. Oh, my goodness. Graham, do you, do you want to tell them? Yes. That's hilarious. Speaking of Jeff at his worst possible... Um, hey, you never know. It could be edited out. Uh, listeners, I don't know if you listen to uh, the, I was going to say comic book podcast. It's not a comic book podcast. It's a movie podcast. Uh, Travis Bickle and the Riviera. That's uh, Sean Mitski and Tucker Stone's movie podcast. Um, Jeff and I did an episode of it the other day. I'd like to say in advance, I just don't talk in it. I I, I apologize to Sean. I apologize mm-hmm. to you, Jeff. Mm-hmm. I was clearly not in a talk to moods because I just don't talk. Jeff does, though. And if, oh, if you've ever wanted to hear Jeff talk his little heart out. Oh, Jesus. Uh, I felt so bad <laughs> after that episode. In fact, this episode was the episode where I was going to keep my mouth shut and be a good listener and learn to oh, listen more. No, it was. it's great. Listeners, oh. if you've ever thought, I would like to hear Jeff talk about his feelings about 1970s pornography. This is your episode. Uh, it, it wasn't supposed to be about that, but uh, the viewing of a, a non-pornographic film from the 1970s took Jeff, uh, we can, it can only be described as a visit down memory lane. <laughs> and we go some weird, weird, wonderful places. Oh, uh, thank you, Graham. Yeah, I got off of that podcast and I'm like, wow, I'm a terrible human being. It was a fun realization for Jeff. So if yeah. you want to hear that what's, that moment of... What's con- funny is I really want, like, I got off and was like, I just didn't talk at all. Because some background for the listeners, even though Sean and Jeff already know this, I spent like 12 hours that day uh, painting uh, uh, a bedroom mm-hmm. and literally stopped like maybe five minutes before we recorded and I didn't realize just how non-social I was until afterwards where I was like, I think I said three words during that podcast. <laughs> like, I really do not talk and I feel, I feel really super embarrassed about it. Oh, don't. Uh, I, like I said, I feel like I talked, almost talked all the air out of the room. Although part of that really was the pursuit of trying to make you and Sean laugh as much as possible. So, well, uh, it, it, you did. It happened. <laughs> It's it's um it's wonderful, ladies and gentlemen. If you don't listen to the podcast anyway, you should. It's a really good podcast. Yes, absolutely. They're they are they are absolutely fantastic. Sean Witzke and Tucker are amazing. And I know some people and here so like both. worryingly smart about movies as well. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean like really you listen to it and you're like, I'm dumb. I'm right. dumb and have no taste. Yeah, so it's it's kind of great in that sense. Walking into it, I really did kind of think like, oh, it's kind of like that scene in the movie where like the champion boxer has to fight two dumb yokels who don't know how to box. I kind of figured that was going to be the way of it because Graham, Graham and I have our tastes and our things that we like. Um, but, of course, we just don't have that level of like – Of smarts. Like Sean completely outclassed us. It was – Oh Amazing. yeah, uh, at every at every turn. So, so basically, we just we we love Sean. We are yeah. completely humiliated that we were unworthy for his podcast. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, 
anyone who enjoys this podcast, it, we really do bring them, bring that podcast down to our level. It's yeah, kind of- exactly. Exactly. It's, it's over, it's probably going to end up being over two hours long because it's us. Um, yeah. And we destroy any structure they might have. It's true. All. They normally have a really good structure. We yeah. just fuck that up. Yeah, so I'm not bad. even intending to. No. No. We wanted to, like, we wanted there to. Was even, oh, this is how bad it is, people. There is even a plan for the cold open of the episode that we discussed literally minutes before doing it, and we didn't even do that right. Like, immediately, we went from, like, this is what we'll do, and then we tried to do it, and it just went so amazingly horribly within 30 seconds. At least, at least. It was was a failure. There's no no other way to, to paint that, I'm afraid. It was just a huge failure. Um, so yeah, on that note, look for Graham and all the wonderful people at Rose City Comic Con. Uh, yeah, I look for both of us, uh, on a future, I don't know if it's the next episode, but definitely a future episode of Travis Bickle. Yeah, Travis Bickle, we will definitely update you on, uh, over at Wait What Podcast. I'll maybe even let people know at Patreon. Um, yeah, I think you should. I think you should. Yeah. Um, it also, because Jeff is now mentioning these things, we're also at WaitWhatPod. .tumblr.com. Yes, and Graham's where, uh, been doing brilliant stuff over there. Right? Yeah, I just, I just today posted a uh, Steve Englehart's Justice League thing to convince people that, of what I was talking about earlier, and there will be another one going up in a couple of days. Yeah. Um, and we are also on Twitter. Yes. At Waitbot Podcast. Right. Um, what? Who? Where else are we, Jeff? Well, I, I think Twitter, Tumblr, Patreon, check us out on Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash wait what podcast. We, uh, we got a couple of really lovely, um, patrons joining oh, us yes. recently. And, and I was, I said to you that we had to specifically call out one by name. Yes. Remember yeah. we had this conversation? We Jeff, did indeed. The- and then we forgot. Yes. So you could do it now. We're still recording. Oh, are we? Well, wait. No, I'm kidding. So yes, Christopher Peterson, who does the Gravy Age uh, podcast and also blogs over there, is uh, was our first uh, twenty dollar patron, and we will be sending him the tote bag as soon as we make it, and stickers and extra comics as a way to thank him. Chris has always been an awesome guy. We've we've exchanged uh, emails and talked to him on Twitter. Uh, the fact that he thought that we were we were worthy of um, that much time and attention uh, is is was truly touching to both Graham and I, and um, I tried to talk him out of it. So because that's how that's that's how I roll. But um, he's the best, is what I'm saying. All of our patrons are incredibly fantastic, and literally, we could not do this without you. We also, each of us, do weekly uh, posts over at uh, waitwhatpodcast.com. Graham's been doing some killer stuff. I've been working very, very hard to try and write something that, You've you have been know, doing some great stuff. Also, I was very impressed that you actually had yours primed and ready to go before I even started mine this week. Oh, but I I had to get caught up. I was just I was too far in the hole. So yeah, that was one I've been meaning. People, if you're interested in hearing Jeff talk about uh, hate reading, um, Brad Meltzer and Chip Kids, the case of the Chemical Syndicate. Um, as yeah, re- go over to waywatpodcast.com because it's great. 
<laughs> well, it's I'm great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you dug it. I was sitting there like type it, type it, type it, type it, type it, type. Um, but yeah, and Graham Graham does all of it effortlessly and wonderfully, and and really with a lot of insight. Um, literally in the case of some of these advanced releases, but just very very incisive. So the, the plan is, and I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to keep to it, but the plan is that I'm going to talk about the futures end stuff all this month. Oh, that would be fabulous. Hey, you know what I was thinking? Well, we really should talk about this off air. Uh, but I sorry, was... listeners, we'll we'll raise this now and then well, talk no, about it. Well, no, but for those it. of us, <laughs> for those of you who are at the five dollar level, who are like, I'm enjoying this. I'm enjoying this a lot. Should I go to the ten dollar level? What's in it for me? Well, we've got the digital grab bag, which has you know an ebook by Graham, a comic script by me, music. Um, the, the actual rough cut of our video, I was thinking since I'm going to be up in, um, Portland, Oregon, that Graham and I might actually either record a short podcast or maybe a super short video of us ordering and eating at the waffle window. So, oh my, do you know what is particularly amusing about that? What? I was at the waffle window this very morning thinking something really similar to that, Jeff. Oh, really? Oh. Yeah, really. I, I had the same idea I was going to bring up after the podcast. <laughs> okay. Well, fabulous. So so clearly something like that is going to happen. Yes. Listeners. Yeah, exactly. So for those of you who are at the five who are like, I really like this sticker, but what's, you know, maybe I want to jump to the next level. We're always this money that uh, is being thrown our way. keeps us excited. Certainly keeps me sp – my comic book spending has gone up so much in the last two months from the idea of, like, I've got to keep the machine well lubricated. Um, also, 10% of, uh, of our Patreon earnings uh, go back to other patrons. We are supporting, like, four people. It's going to be bumped up to five now. Um, you know, uh we're paying it forward, and we really appreciate everything you do. So that's 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 the end of my clumsy plug, I think. Yes. So basically, people, give us money, and we'll pass it on to other people. I love that long pause from Graham. Yes, exactly. Graham, do you want to sing us out, or do I have to make myself into more of an idiot? No, I'm going to sing us out right now. People, thank you very much for listening. We'll be back in two weeks after uh, – I'm trying to think. In two weeks. In two weeks, Jeff, my mother-in-law might be here. Oh my god. Okay, that'll so yeah. be for an interesting podcast. Mm. It'd be really funny if we can get my mother in law to guest. We'll see if that's happening. Man, that would be the most terrifying thing ever. Okay. Yes. Fabulous. People, we'll talk to you really soon. Thank you very much for listening. Bye!